Can you believe this is episode number 79 and you're going to dig it? There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 79 of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman coming at you from the Broken Tine Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. And it is a great day because yesterday we had an all-day rainstorm. It got all the smoke out of the air. Uh, now today the air is like fresh, the, blue, the sky is blue, the sun is shining. It's not like blazing hot. Um, I'm just really excited, like energized over the whole thing. I'm uh, we're expecting some more rain later on this week, and so you know, in our neck of the woods, we've got some fires going on uh, over on the Montana side, and then right here, about I don't know, 10 miles from my place, uh, there's a pretty big fire uh, going on in the national forest. And so, anyways, point being, it I, I feel like there's a change in the air. The weather is starting to turn towards more of a fall climate. Uh, temperatures are starting to drop a little bit and I am just hoping and praying these, these, uh, temperatures subside and, and these fires get under control a little bit. So I know a lot of us out here out West are suffering from it. So guys, I have uh, a couple things to cover real quick, uh, before we get to the, the interview portion of this, um, it has been brought to my attention. I've, I, there's been some rumblings about this going on for a while, but, uh, it has been brought to my attention that there is an organization in Oregon called yesonip13.org. They have presented a ballot, and uh, it is, or I'm sorry, it's an initiative petition, and it is referred to as IP13, Initiative Petition 13, uh, for the state of Oregon. So what happens is they have to get like 112,000 signatures, I believe. I'm not not reading that right now. Uh, It's not in front of me. Anyway, they have to get a bunch of signatures. I think it's 112,000. In order for it to be moved into the general election uh, on a ballot for vote by the general populace in the fall of 2022. So a little over a year from now. And what I want to do is I just want to read the first paragraph on this on this website of the about. Uh, so you guys are kind of familiar with what this is. Um, again, if you're not in Oregon... Keep this in mind, guys. We talked about this last winter when we were dealing with the bear ban hunting, or the, <laughs> I said that backwards, bear hunting ban uh, down in California. Um, IP13. If you're not in Oregon, what happens in a case like this is states like California and Oregon and these these kind of more extreme groups, these, uh, these fringe, left, uh, anti-hunting kind of groups, what they do is they they start setting a precedence and and that's what's important so those of us in Idaho that has a a general populace that is on the extreme other side of the fence as to what comes out of like Portland Oregon or San Francisco California or Seattle Washington 
what happens is a precedence gets set and and all of a sudden that becomes a reality which will turn into a norm and spread into other places not to mention as hunters we have brothers and sisters in Oregon if you're not there that need our help we can't just sit down and allow this stuff to percolate into something bigger than I, I mean, the thing, actually, let me just get to reading it. It's insane. This is insane. Okay, I'm just going to read it right right from uh, right from their website here. Initiative Petition 13 is a ballot initiative filed for the 2022 Oregon general election. For those hearing about IP13 for the first time, this ballot initiative would remove many of the current exemptions from Oregon's animal cruelty laws against animal abuse, animal neglect, and animal sexual assault. These statutes prohibit the intentional injury or killing of an animal, parentheses abuse, the withholding of care from an animal or the injurious tethering of an animal, parentheses neglect, and the sexual contact of an animal's mouth, anus, or genitals, parentheses sexual assault. But many animals are not currently protected under these laws due to the numerous exemptions included. By removing exemptions from these laws, animals that were not previously protected from abuse, neglect, and sexual assault would finally receive legal protections. As one might realize, this would impact many industries that currently involve animals. Animals on farms, research labs, exhibitions, and in the wild would no longer be allowed to be intentionally injured or killed, parentheses, labeled abused. Nor would they be allowed to forcibly impregnate sexual assault, in parentheses, animals in transport trucks or in the industries already mentioned could no longer be deprived of adequate food, water, and shelter, neglected either. Importantly, all veterinary practices and the use of self-defense would remain exempt from these statutes. Okay, that that's enough. Guys, if you want to read the whole thing, which I would recommend you do, uh, go to yesonip13.org uh, yes and uh, forward slash the about section. It'll, it'll kind of talk about it. But let me give you the gist. This absurd petition is essentially encompassing everything from um, butchering farm animals to hunting uh, to uh, like a rancher breeding cattle, a certain line of cattle, or even people that are, uh, you know, I, I have friends that are into the racehorse kind of arena, no pun intended there. Uh, but they, they have bloodlines in the horses and, and, and it, it's a big deal. It's a, it, you know, you got, <laughs> I've got a funny story about that. I can tell you later, but anyway, um, th th this removes all of that. It, it bans hunting, it bans farming and ranching and, and, uh, meat. It does not. And, and, and they're very careful with how they word it, right? They're very careful. It's, it's basically, oh, we're not going to ban a rancher from, uh, basically harvesting or raising cattle uh, does not ban in any industry outright. Here's their words. IP 13 does not ban any industry outright. And the proposed changes in the statute would not prohibit a rancher from raising and caring for bovines. It would only require that the rancher did not abuse, neglect, or sexually assault the animals under their care. It's funny how they throw that sexual assault thing in there as if, um, Breeding cattle or or artificially inseminating a, a, a you know cattle on on a farm, which which takes place quite a bit, um, is somehow sexual assault, or hunting is abuse. 
the neglect thing, I, I, I get that to an extent, but I don't believe we need to legislate that. Uh, but but what they do is they, they put all these things under these emotionally charged words that people in big cities that, that don't have any connection to the land or nature can can really grasp onto and feel like they're they're doing this great cause. The words that they that all this falls under is abuse, neglect or sexual assault of animals, abuse, neglect and sexual assault of animals. So it, it would prohibit essentially everybody in Oregon would have to be a vegan with the exception of they do say they are not going to ban the sale of meat and it could be imported into Oregon. So think about that. This fringe group thinks that it is their calling or their right to eliminate the rights of others. And and it is a fringe group. This is and and I want to start by saying this thing is a it, it, it's just kind of laughable in a lot of ways. It's not going to pass. Even if they get the signatures, this will never pass. They're not going to change the way human nature and the way humans have been eating and and uh, nourishing their bodies for hundreds of thousands of years. That's not going to change. That they're not going to change that here. But what this does is it it begins um, the process of setting precedents to make it more acceptable in the future. So I don't want to spend uh, a ton of time on this. What I wanted to do is let you guys know. Um, you know, as part of this platform, this is this is what we pay attention to and what we fight. And and I want to let you guys know I am well aware of this and are I am actively working on a countermeasure to this. I have also reached out to the um, one of the I, I guess he's the sponsor, the the main sponsor or whatever. Let's see, there's actually a, a word that is uh, let's see, chief petitioner. He's a chief petitioner. Um, and he is the campaign director for Yes on IP13. His name is David Andrew Mickelson, or David Mickelson. Um, I have sent him a message, and I am trying to get him to agree to come on my show. Will he do it? I, I doubt it. I doubt it. He's, not, he's probably not. But I do wish he would. And if for some reason he is listening to this, David, I want you to know that when you come out with a petition like this, that is that is full of these absurdities and this connotation that you have this moral high ground because you have a misguided view of what hunting and eating meat is we should have a discussion about it and i you you should know that you have to defend your position you have to know how to defend your position and you should sit down with me let's talk about it I, I want you to come on my show and explain your position. Explain to me why you think that you and your fringe group have the right in a free country that is paid for through hundreds of years of blood to tell other Americans how they can and can't live. I want you to come on my show and explain that to me, if just in case you're listening. And you know what? I'll be really nice. We'll be very professional. We'll be nice. We'll talk about it. We'll have a mature conversation about it. But you could tell that I'm passionate. I'm sure you're passionate about your side. But let's talk about it. Come on on. Come on. Come on my show. Don't be. Well, you know what I mean. So, guys, that's that's the gist of that. Uh, and they and again, these these emotional trigger triggering words that they use and phrases that they use, like on the website, it says how we end animal cruelty. A better world is possible. 
Folks, people fall for that stuff. People fall for that because they don't look any further than what that headline says. They, they fall for that. And we got to prevent it. We've got to prevent this from even getting the signatures required to take this to a ballot because it sets a very dangerous precedence for our lifestyle and our future. And it is of no business of anybody living in some big city how I conduct my life and how I choose to feed my family and the freedoms that I enjoy. They are not to be infringed. Folks, I believe in the American system of freedom, liberty, self-reliance, capitalism, all those things. And, and I know that there are some of you in this audience that might have a different view on some of those things. But I, for me, I believe in it to the very essence and being of my soul. I put on a uniform and put my life on the line to protect this thing that I believe in that is all centered around freedom. And that's, I think, why I get so upset about some of these petitions that come out and start talking about infringing on my liberty and my freedom and my lifestyle choices. It is of nobody else's business. I would never tell a vegan that I would never try to get a petition going to make it a law that vegans have to eat meat. I don't care what you do with your life. Don't dictate my life. This is America, and you are confused as to what country you are proposing this in. Okay, I'm trying to I'm trying to keep this short and sweet. I, I do. I this this stuff is I, I get fired up and I think there are more of us out there that need to get fired up. So uh, again, guys, I wanted you to know I am working on this. I've got I've got a few things in the works. Uh, it's it's real brand new and fresh and uh, we're we're just kind of putting some things together. I've got some ideas. Uh, again, if, if uh, David there over at uh, Yes on IP13 wants to come on the show, I would encourage that. Uh, you should uh, you should consider it. Um, and we are going to do something about this. We're not just going to sit on our tails. We're not going to just sit around and, and gripe about how stupid this legislation is or this proposal is. It's not legislation. I should clarify that. It's, it's just a p- petition at this point. So um, I don't want to just sit around and gripe around, uh, about it. I want, I want action, I, and, and we are going to take action here at the Western Huntsman, and I hope you guys join me. I've got some ideas. We'll be announcing them over the next few weeks. Uh, as, as we kind of is bad timing, we're gearing up for hunting season, <laughs> and so I'm really busy. But uh, we're gonna deal with it. So today's episode, guys, um, I, I think you're gonna really like this. I've been I've been thinking about uh, having an episode like this for a while. My guest today, his name is Joel Swecker, and he owns a company called Black Creek Taxidermy out of Rochester, Washington. And uh, he's a firefighter. He's a hunter. Uh, he's a, he's just a great member of his community and he also owns his taxidermist shop. And, and so what he was concerned about is some of the lack of information that is available out there for people that are wanting to have taxidermy work done. Um, so what's, what's interesting about it is we talk about hide care and, and how to keep out your animal and all these things to make it better for you in the end. And, and so some of the expectations that you should have when it comes to taxidermist work and how they operate and, you know, wait times and price ranges and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it, it's just a great conversation. Joel is a great dude. He's a great guy. I feel like he uh, is going to be a great resource in the future for the platform of the Western Huntsman because I'd love to refer to him on a lot of different topics. He's, he's got a lot of experience and wisdom, and, and I, I just really appreciate him coming on the show. So with that, guys, check out um, 
the initiative proposal 13 so you're familiar with it so we could talk further about it down the road and let's get into it with uh, joel swecker over at black river taxidermy guys i, I may have uh, said that wrong initially when i was first talking about that it's not black creek it's black river taxidermy so sorry about that joel uh but here we go with joel swecker black river taxidermy let's do it Right, guys tonight well depending on what time you're listening to it but this episode i've got my new friend uh, joel swecker from rochester washington and he is the uh, founder and owner of black river taxidermy and we are going to have an interesting conversation tonight joel i appreciate you coming on man thank you i'm uh i'm trying to log into this instagram account here and i forgot my own password to it so i can't pull up your uh <laughs> I can't pull up your Instagram, but I've got your website pulled up, uh, and I follow you on Facebook. So this is going to be a good talk, guys. Uh, what we're going to be talking about tonight, so Joel is a taxidermist, and, and he's also a firefighter, which uh, I was super lucky. I was able to catch him when he's kind of off work. You, you guys, what do you work, like four on, four off kind of thing, Joel? Yeah, we work a 24 on, 48 off schedule. Uh, this is the busy time of year, so there's lots of overtime to be had. So Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's hard to get away from it. In fact, I ran into town today, and on the way, there was a fire down the road from my house, literally. So I stopped and got out and helped with that. And they were all jo- my guys were all joking around with me that I uh, couldn't keep away from it. So, <laughs> well, there's that's that's the thing about being like a firefighter, man, is is like it's it's not really a job; it's a calling, right? Sure. And and, yep. and I've had it's funny because you're right there. We just had Joel Turner on, so he's he's in law enforcement, and that's kind of the same thing and and you guys are kind of in the same neck of the woods and uh it was just kind of lucky we ran into each other the way we did here via via the you know online or whatever but um or an email and it's funny because this is the exact topic i've been i've been wanting to talk about for a long time and so i guess i better fill the audience in on what that is um as i said joel is a taxidermist and he's been doing that for a long time and we decided to have a conversation about how to properly, um, I guess, cut the hide, prep it for a taxidermist. We're going to talk about basically everything along those lines because a lot of hunters go out and they screw it up. They screw the cape up. They get it to the taxidermist, and it's all messed up, and there's not much that can happen unless the taxidermist, you know what, gets lucky and finds an extra hide laying around they could kind of stitch in. Is that is that kind of the gist of it? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a... One of the misnomers is that we can fix anything, and there's quite a bit of stuff we can fix, mm-hmm. but there's certain things that we cannot fix. And a lot of times, even some of the simple things that we cannot fix, like a cape, a cape meaning the, the shoulders of the animal that we use for most standard shoulder mounts, um, if something is too short, there really isn't a whole lot we can do about that. And a lot of times we find that some of the very simple mistakes is stuff that could so easily be avoided just by exactly what we're doing here is just letting people know yeah yeah all right well let's before we get into all that let's back up a little bit uh you're in you're in east or i'm sorry western washington yeah and i i take it now joel and i just met today via the phone uh we we've been talking back and forth via email for a while but 
we just started talking today, and so uh, and I do that on purpose, Joel. I I, I want to get kind of your background and let us know where you're from, how you grew up, are you a lifelong hunter, all the all those kind of things, and then we'll roll right into that topic because I'm really excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I'm born and raised here in Rochester, Western Washington. Uh, I grew up in a in a family. My mom said the family, a lot of them were were agriculture farmers, stuff like that, and so. Come October, man, everybody piled into the trucks and hit the hills for blacktails, you know, and, and elk were kind of one of those elusive animals that, man, if you got one, you were kind of the talk of the town. Uh, as I grew up, you know, I uh, I kind of found some, I got through high school, was actually originally supposed to go to school to be a veterinarian, believe it or not. Oh. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I, it's that kind of big joke in the family is I still get to work on animals with what I'm doing now, but um, I, I, I got into, I got into firefighting and, um, and really enjoy that. It's the best job in the world. Uh, but I was looking for something on the side, uh, kind of when I got into firefighting too, I started, uh, getting to know a couple of the other firefighters and honestly, a couple of guys that I grew up with and they really got into archery elk. So I started hanging out with these guys and getting into archery elk and it was, it went from, a from a let's try this out to a love to a passion. Um, I big game hunt just about most anything that I possibly can, but man, I'd give it all up for, for, for archery elk. There's just, there's nothing better. So the, I was looking, so going on, I was looking for something on the side to do. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of firefighters have a secondary job one, because I think a lot of us have a little bit of, uh, ADD and potentially a little OCD and, yeah. uh, and so I uh, was always, even from a young age, I always considered taxidermy. I always fell in love with it. Even from a younger age, I was doing charcoal and pencil drawings of horses and elk scenes and stuff like that. And so I think the artistic side was always had the bug in me. Um, a couple years later, it was literally the three guys that I elk hunt with quite a bit, archery elk hunt. Um, we were sitting around a campfire. All of us, all of our families go up to Packwood. Uh, once a year and we rent a cabin and the families kind of hang out for three or four days. And us guys were sitting on the campfire one night and I hadn't even mentioned to them that I was considering taxidermy. I had, I talked about it with my wife that I was contemplating pursuing it. And, um, and they, we were just talking about our, our favorite topic, archery elk. And, and they started saying, yeah, it's really hard to find a taxidermist. There's not as many as there was. Uh-huh. There was recently a couple that had passed away. A couple of them decided they didn't want to do it anymore. And so I kind of looked at my wife and I said, well, I'll take that as a sign. So I, I started mentoring under a guy. Um, a lot of some of your listeners may have heard of his name was Tony Pancook. He was a mm-hmm. outdoor writer. Um, he was about as close to a professional hunter as you could get. He was also a career fireman. This is how I, I our family kind of knew him. Okay. And I mentored under him. Yeah. And so I mentored under him for a couple of years and he said, I, I can't teach anymore. I need to go to school. So he kind of kicked me out, I guess. And uh <laughs> So then I, I enrolled in the Montana School of Taxidermy in Helena, Montana. Uh, spent a month and a half there doing nothing but learning everything from tanning to, you know, putting stuff on the forms to habitat work, birds, fish, big game. Uh-huh. And uh, I came home and that was in 2014. And then I opened up Black River Taxidermy soon thereafter and it's kind of blown up since. And, uh, so it's, that's kind of my, how I've, how I've gotten to this point now. I want to visit something you said there for a minute. Um, going back to, uh, you know, you have like this artistic side 
Do you think? Mm-hmm. Do you think is that a thing for a lot of taxidermists? Because there is that. I don't know. Some people call it the left left side, right side of your brain, or whatever. Um, sure. You know, I have that artistic side too, but in a different way. Um, I I can draw really good stick figures, but. Uh, that's not it. It's you, you know the artistic side falls on like I, I like I like to create music. I like to create podcasts. I like to you know that kind of stuff. And that's that's like my my artistic side. And it, it always comes out in different ways. And I'm always interested in that. And so talk to me a little bit about that in and how that kind of translates into taxidermy because it's a cool concept. Yeah, I- I definitely think each taxidermist, especially some of the most successful ones, um, I think definitely have the artistic side. Now, I don't want to say necessarily unfortunately, but along with comes at is a certain level of kind of a, of a, of eccentric. Uh-huh. Um, but, and I, and I, I do think a lot, a lot of, a lot of taxidermists consider, and a lot of other people consider taxidermy art. I don't consider myself necessarily an artist i consider myself more a craftsman yeah um yeah but i think i think that artistic side is definitely there and you know a lot of it is just basically keeping track of your you know our main subject matter is wildlife and so in the long run i think ultimately me being a hunter makes me a better taxidermist and i think in the long term as well i think being a taxidermist has made me a better hunter in the end um when I go out and when we do archery elk, you know, before it was always the pursuance of the game, seeing the game, either having stocks blown or coming in close contact with cows or whatever. And, and it's kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, next time Yeah. I now find that when you go out there, you're, you're looking at every detail of that animal that I've never, you know, I, I started knowing this, I started right realizing this very soon after getting into taxidermy pretty, con, you know, pretty often that, I would study, oh, look at that cow, the way she's holding her ears, or look at that bear, the way he's tipping his head up, or that black tail as he's, you know, got his nose. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that side of it. Yeah, and so you kind of, you get those little snapshots in your mind, and and you come back, and you, that really can, I think that plays a big role in a lot of the the poses that you do, and the, um, and, you know, and how it transforms into the work that you're doing. Um, every, every species is different. I mean, in, incredibly different. Any, if anybody ever tells you that, oh, you know, a black, it's a black tail or it's a white tail or it's a mule deer, they're all going to go on the form the same. They're, they're, they honestly either haven't been doing it very long or they're not paying attention to specific details. You know, yeah, the yeah. scent gland of a, the scent gland of a mule deer is entirely different than that of a black tail. Um, mm-hmm. you know, even, even some of the subspecies, you know, you talk about Rockies and Roosevelt's. Very, very distinct differences between the two, even their muscling and even their head shape and stuff like that. So you really have to focus on your subject matter. And that's where I think a lot of the art comes in is how that can, you know, keeping up with a lot of it. You know, I'll do 50 blacktails a year, 50 black blacktail shoulder mounts a year. But if I get the, you know, if I get a Sitka blacktail in or even if I'm if I'm lucky to get a coos in, then I find myself looking at reference photos and, and back, you know, of of that species so that when it goes to form, I can remember some of the details that were involved with that species. So do you like when, I, when I you're working? Think, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I cut you off. No, 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 no. Go ahead. When you're working on like, say a, a, a coos deer, for example, or whatever, um, do you have, you're sitting there working on it. You have like the, the computer sitting there too. So you can pull up different images to give you 
is that what you're talking about? Like, and you can get like, okay, that muscle right there on the side of his face cuts in this way. So I got to make like a, you know, a, a, a bulge or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Like, it's, it's, you know, they, it's kind of dependent upon whether you need to go back to reference. I have a, I have a binder that has reference photos of all different kinds of, you know, primarily species that I'm dealing with here in North America. Now you get a lot of the, you can get some real exotics in, uh-huh. And, you know, then you have to look up photos and usually I'll print them off and then I'll put them in that binder and I just have a binder of reference photos. What's the um, craziest thing you've ever taxidermied, stuffed, whatever? Um, well, I can tell you what I've been asked to taxidermy and I try yeah, to I wanna it hear it, man. I want to um, hear it. Like, like Aunt, well, probably, Aunt Judy? <laughs> yeah, well, oh yeah. So, so years ago... So years ago, I have this group of guys that come out from a little town near Montesano here and they are a tremendous group of guys. They kill they kill some monster black tails. And usually when they come in, they come in in a herd. And they're a fun group of guys. Well, one of them brought their dad. And this, this elderly gentleman is over there, and they wanted to see the flesh-eating bugs that we have. Uh, we use, we use flesh-eating bugs to clean off the European mounts. Um, do quite a few of those a year. And so he's over there looking at this stuff. And he looks at me, and he goes, how much to do an ex-wife? And I kind of half laughed and he like, he like grabs my arm and he goes, son, I was serious. And I'm like, well, that's not exactly legal. So (laughs) uh, he shall ever remain nameless. Um, (laughs) um, I've been, I think the coolest, the coolest thing I've ever done. And it's more on the, it's more on the tune of I'll probably never do one again, probably because of game laws and this animal was completely legit to do was a jet was a south american jaguar oh um, wow it yeah, was yeah it was, it, it was a captive it was a captive bred and raised cat they had all the document and you know some of these species you got to be really careful with what comes in because there's a lot of game laws and i've i've you know been asked before from people that have had something passed down to them where they want me to work on it and it's no longer an animal that you can legally work on uh, so is, some of the doc, some of the documentation you got to be really careful on. Is that on your gallery here on the website? Which, by the way, guys, no, blackrivertaxidermy.com. That's he's got a crazy good gallery. Um, he even got like black yeah, bears I, with blood on the claws and stuff. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, you're fine. I I don't know if the cat. I need to put some new photos on there. That that was put up, and I think I updated it a couple years ago. I think I need to put a bunch of new ones on there. The jaguar is not. I need to get that up there. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, it was a, it was it was a pretty cool cat to do. That as color face bear co- is badass. That's a crazy cool. Oh yeah, cool isn't that mount. cool? Yeah, that's a crazy so, cool mount. Is that the one with the rock the, the rock spilling yep, over the edge of the yep. cabinet? Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was actually a a good buddy of mine got that on a special permit uh, in the Tucannon unit in Eastern Washington, and uh, not a gigantic bear, but he shot that bear specifically for the color. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, I would have totally I, shot that bear without hesitation because yeah. of the color. Seriously, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, it was cool looking. So bear. We've got some really, really cool bears in already this year too, with a lot of color canes. So, mm-hmm. I'm I'm anxious to see them hit the form. You'll you'll have people that will call on occasion that will want either to do pets, you know, and so you get some pretty crazy requests for those. What what um, is that? How does that conversation go? Like Fido just died. And we can't stand it, and we want him like <laughs> here with us. I, I don't understand. That. Wouldn't that be creepy? Well, for someone that doesn't understand it, you're pretty darn close to usually how it goes. Um, wow. So I, literally two weeks ago, and and the first thing is is I don't do pets. I don't do pets, and and 
here's the reason why in taxidermy school, you know, the master taxidermist that we studied under his name is Jeff Welch. He told me, you know, two things you really want to refrain from one, you want to refrain from doing like uh, restorations, I guess is what you would call it. Uh, or somebody screws up a, 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 an elk mound or something and they want you to fix it because the other guy sucked. Yeah, that or you'll have someone that will come in and say, man, this was my grandpa's elk. The hair's starting to fall out, you know, oh, gotcha. all this kind of stuff. And we want you and you don't touch them because, you know, it, it, you're you're trying to fix something that is at the end of the day, the animal, even the mount is still an organic material. It will have a shelf life. Now, taxidermy practices differ greatly from good to bad to really poor. And that's going to that's going to affect the longevity of that mount. That's why later on we'll talk about some taxidermy selection and stuff like that. But um, so restorations, you got to be really careful because yes, you've been asked to fix someone else's mistake and it's, you don't know how the animal was tanned. You don't know what kind of glue you, they use. You just don't, there's too many variables that you could potentially in the end of the day cause more damage than better. So um, I don't do restorations. I'll, I'll do, you know, occasionally I'll have guys that will bring one in that, are very, very good clients. And it's just some touch up and I may do that, but, but pets, you don't do pets because so when, uh, as you and I, as a hunter, when we go out and we see a bull and we're lucky to harvest that bull, we have maybe at, at most, we have an hour of a knowledgeable visual inspection of that animal. Mm-hmm. We harvest that animal. We're really excited about it. But there's no intimate knowledge of how that animal looks, how he acts, how he, you know, uh, all I see that where stuff. you're going. Yep. So what happens is, is you have, you know, an elderly lady that has had a cat for 20 years and the cat dies. She has looked at that cat 50 times every day and knows exactly how that cat looks. You can do the world's best taxidermy job on that cat and it is not, it's not going to look the same. Here's an analogy, and I know it's a really poor one and kind of a morbid one, but if you've ever gone to an open casket funeral, no matter how well the bomb bomber is, they just never quite look like how they did in real life. Mm-hmm. It's kind, it's kind of the same principle. Dude, so therefore I, they're not going to be happy and I'm not going to be, and I'll be upset. And so it's just, it's not a good way of doing things. Is that so, like what the bulk of that is when people call you up and, and they're like, you know, I want my cat, uh, you know, stuffed. What do you call it? it like, I always feel like stuffed is a wrong term to a taxidermist. <laughs> yeah so but, and, and that's and it, it we don't really stuff anything uh you know everything i know, is used I know on a, that. On a, oh but everybody but everybody says that and that's exactly how it used to be so that's the term that's commonly used so but, is is that the bulk of them though like it's like some crazy cat lady that just wants her cat all always there oh, in the future because for me it just seems crazy it seems i don't know oh, no you would you would be surprised i've been asked to do as far as the pets go i have been asked to do numerous cats numerous dogs a rat, a guinea pig, an ostrich, a pet alligator, a pet sloth. I don't know where they, I don't know, don't ask Whoa. me how they got that. A pet skunk, um, all this kind of stuff. So, and, you know, it's kind of like, come again. I could have swore you just said you want me to taxidermy your ostrich. Dude, yeah, that's you, what I said. He was a pet. <laughs> I, If you have a stuffed skunk, I want it. I'll buy it from you. I need one. <laughs> I, ha- I, I have, have ideas skunk for that. hides in here. Oh, yeah? We're going yeah, to work out a deal, man. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be I, the best prank ever on my wife, and I'll I just tra- I need I'll, one. I'll trade you for a sweatshirt. Oh, man. <laughs> you got a deal. <laughs> I'm sending you a hoodie, dude. Oh, man. That would be great. 
No, that's yeah. great. So uh, you've been you've been doing taxidermy for a long time, and uh, you know here you are all these years later. Do you love it, man? Is it like oh yeah, just a it's, passion yeah, or what? It's fabulous. I mean, I, yeah, it, it's besides fire. I I honestly have two of the best jobs in the world. Um, that and they they really complement each other because I come home from fire department, and as you know, a lot of people know, even some that are listening, they're in this that are in the fire service is that. It's incredibly stressful, especially this day and age. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, you come home and I walk into the shop and I mean, this shop, I have designed the shop to basically look like, I want it to be an experience when people come in. So we have lodgepole pines everywhere. We have antlers. I've got a really old canoe. I got trapper packs everywhere. I mean, it. when you walk in, I want it to look like something really cool. And so I be able to, to walk this. into that from a, yeah, absolutely. When you're over here, stop by. Um, and it's, and, and so it's, it's relaxing to come home and do that. So I find a lot of peace and then also just, it's just enjoyable. Um, sure. so I absolutely love it. It, it gets busy and there are times that are, you know, when you're knees deep in, you know, nasty black bears, it's like, God, what am I doing? But, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's for the most part, it's, it's really awesome. And that's what a lot of people, I'll have a, you know, I'll have a fair amount of people that will come in and either, Hey, we'd like to come work for her. Hey, we want to mentor underneath you. And, and, but they're doing it at a time when I'm doing something fun. So when I'm putting a, a big black tail on the form, I'm sewing up. And that's what a lot of people don't understand about taxidermy is there is a big portion of it that you don't see that is nasty, not enjoyable, but you have, it has, there's a process and you have to get through the process in order to get to the end product. Oh, I know all about it, man. I, I, now yeah. I, for the listeners out there, I, I can do a restoration because I'll tell you, <laughs> I had, I shot a wild boar. And, uh, he's, he was a big boar, man, down in Mesquite, Nevada. And, uh, I had, I had the head, you know, great job on the, on the tax. You know, I don't know. I don't remember the Mm -hmm. tax terms that did it, but anyway, I have, I have the mount. Uh, I call him, his name is Hillary. And when I was moving, I knocked one of his big tusks out and I glued it back on with Gorilla Glue. And so there you go. go. If you guys need a restoration, hit me up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You're putting the door for tax yeah. <laughs> No, that's that's cool, man. Um, it, it's a great story. I'd I'd love to come see your shop. I I think because uh, I'm in that neck of the woods every once in a while. Uh, yeah, and, and that that'd be that'd be awesome. I love I love the photo gallery on your on your website here. Uh, clearly, you're passionate about it, and you do a great job. Um, do you want to start with like kicking off what are some of the things that hunters do that screw up the future mount for the taxidermist or for for themselves, I guess, so to speak. Does that make sense how I'm asking that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's a lot of, do you want to start there or do you want to start with like, uh, tools that you want to take or do where, yeah, where do you want to start start with tools and equipment that are best used because you sent me a little list here with yeah and, and that helps okay cool um because and then we'll get into like caping and skinning and all that kind of stuff that'll just give us in the put us in the right direction so what kind of tools do hunters need if they're looking to do a mount in the if you know were they successful yeah so we can even go back just one step further and even even talk about you know that's what you know when we spoke on the phone earlier you know that's what i was kind of saying is it it's amazing that there is, you know, guys will spend up upwards of tens of thousands, you know, on some of these hunts and they'll spend, you know, a couple thousand on a bow and gear and everything else. And that, yeah. that's awesome, but they won't put kind of the research into 
you know, what happens if I shoot that 350 bolt or what happens if I shoot that once in a lifetime black tail or it doesn't even have to be that you've gone on this really expensive hunt. You could be in your own backwoods. Yeah, I was, was going to say, in. you know, what if you, what yeah, if you just get an right. over the counter tag and just, yep. you know, by sheer circumstance, a 360 bull yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, just about runs you over and you sauce them with your bow and you're standing yeah. in front of it. And you haven't even thought about maybe getting a mount done. Yeah. And that, that's the thing is I tell, you know, that's what, that's one thing where I really like, you know, I really like this type of topic right before the kickoff of big game seasons, because there's a, there's a ton of people that will go into big game season and not have a clue as to where they would start with the taxidermist. Now I'm not saying that you're going to reserve a spot with most taxidermists, but it's always something to keep in the back of your mind, you know, as far as like what you would do, I've been there before. I mean, and I say this because, you know, I shot a bull in, in 2007, I think is what it was. It was a great bull as a special permit. I had no clue who I was taking it to, anything like that. And so I was doing last minute kind of check-in as I get into town as far as who would take this thing without doing research on both the taxidermy and even the quality of work. And there's a big difference between a lot of them. So that's, that's you know, that's the big thing is starting is, you know. <laughs> you, if, you know, that's if, not a horrible if, topic in itself, Joel. No, it's not. And I, and I got to be really careful in how I address that. Because, okay, okay, with uh, – and, and sorry, I feel like there's a little delay here. I, I keep – you keep cutting out, and I keep talking. Then I figure out I'm uh, cutting you off. Sorry about that, dude. No, no, you're fine. It's because I'm in my my phone service isn't great. So wh- let's let's start with that then. Even even further back than what tools to take. If if you're if you've got considerations, you, whether you're going on like some kind of trophy hunt, like you you, you drew the the best tag, you, you you've been trying for it for years, you know it's a great unit, um, or you know you're like me. Uh, you've never gotten some crazy big elk that you would want to have spend that kind of money on, but you never know tomorrow. Yeah. You just never know what'll happen. Right. Right. Uh, I guess where I'm going with that is, is like, how does somebody like me who doesn't have a lot of experience going to taxidermist? Mine is mainly because I'm cheap and I, I kind of enjoy doing my own Euro mounts, even though they're not that great. Um, <laughs> they, they work if that makes sense. And so, yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. for somebody like me, how do I identify the right kind of taxidermist? So I don't take it in, uh, and, and we talked about it. I take in this nice Rocky mountain bowl of elk and it comes back looking like a donkey with antlers on it. You, you know what I mean? Yeah how, yeah. how do we identify that? Well, I, I think everybody that hunts has a buddy or a relative or, uh, sisters uncles aunts twice removed that that has a trophy room where you can go and see mounts and you're you know one of the things to start with is looking if you see a nice big rocky on the phone on the the wall and just say man that looks really good who did that i think a majority of taxidermists rely on a lot of just reference or word of mouth and so that's usually a really good place to start um as far as if you see something that you like even a stranger you know you're you know you're in the house over to dinner party like man that that buck looks really good who did the work on that and then you take the name of that person and try and try and find them. The the next step is to try and make contact with that with that taxidermist. And first off, you want to ask if they're taking any work. Most taxidermists that are very very good at what they do, or are proficient at, at mount, are going to be more busy than you can even imagine. So there's a fair amount of them that are not even taking in work at that time or taking on new clientele. Um, this last couple of years have been really damaging because. With the onset of COVID, everything from tanneries to supply houses to materials to chemicals, 
all of that stuff has been incredibly delayed. And so a lot of taxidermists are kind of limiting what they're taking in because one, they're trying to catch up and two, they're trying to basically, you know, get done and, and try and plan for the next year with those slowdowns that are going to happen. So, you know, for this year, at least, you know, if you make contact with the taxidermist, I'd, I'd ask that if they're even taking on new work. Um, okay. You know, and after, after that, the next step would to basically try to, you know, if they're taking a new work, just ask them to go see if, you know, if they, if they're up for a visit, go and take a look at their work. I don't, I don't want to say that everybody does it, but I've seen it happen and you have to be careful of it. And what I'm talking about is that with the onset of technology and tech, you can Photoshop anything. And I have yeah. seen, I have seen representations of bucks and I've seen them on pictures and then I've seen the actual work in person and it's drastically different. So See, it, I, it's the, not even it's not even the the necessity of Photoshop isn't even there. Like I'm if you get on a website and they're like, oh, here's our gallery of all the all, all the whatever we've we've uh, we've done here, all the work we've done. How do we yep. know they haven't taken that off of a different website? You know what I mean? It's kind of like yeah. everybody knows uh, Uncle Bob, who claims right. to be this great hunter. Uh, there's this huge <laughs> elk in his lodge. But the reality is he bought it at a pawn shop when nobody was looking, right? So it's kind of that kind of – and I'm, I think I'm just like the older I get, I'm more skeptical of people. So yes. I, I think of that kind of stuff. You don't really have too much of a problem with like plagiarism or, or copyright infringement. But what, but what you do have is one you have to understand is that most people that have a website are going to be putting on the best of the best. I mean mm -hmm. they're – and that's fine. And that's good. I mean, I'll be honest. That's what I do with mine. I put on some of my best work on there. Um, but it's good to go and visit them so you can see stuff in process sure. so that you can see his trophy room or his area so that you can see, yes, that's what, that's a good, you know, that's a good, especially, I mean, you're asking a stranger to take in one of your most prized memory memories yeah. in the hunting, you know, in the hunting field. So you want to know that someone's, there's an accurate, depiction of their work that you can see in process and um and and so that that's a really really good step for someone to to go in um let, you know let, things you kind of want to be go ahead let me ask it in this way when somebody is shopping around for a taxidermist is there like a one or two big things that present red flags in your mind to somebody you would not want to take your animal to one is timelines so the two things that everybody will complain about with taxidermists is one, the price, and two, that it takes too long. And again, you know, I was a client of taxidermy for a lot of years, so I, it's not that I'm saying this from a taxidermy. I, I, I've been there, I know. Um, the timeline, the one thing you want to be careful of is you shouldn't, ta taxidermy takes time. Mm -hmm. And with a good taxidermist comes a lot of contracts or a lot of mounts. We call them contracts sometimes. And so you have to understand that it's, it's not, you're not going to take in a buck at the end of November and expect a four to six month turnaround. It just doesn't happen very often. It's just, you know, so if you go in there, but, but, but with that said, a taxidermist should be able to give you some rough idea. Um, meaning that he should be able to give you at least somewhere in a six month window. The first line in my contract that everybody signs, the first line in the contract is I have not been given a completion date. And that's to protect me, and that's also to protect the client. 
But yeah. I also give them a very rough estimate. I had three bears that were brought in today, you know, and they're all, every single one of them, they're going to be rugs. And so the guys ask me, you know, well, what, what are we looking at for a timeline? I'm like, you know, expect a year. Rugs take the longest because you have to outsource several of the steps within the, within the rugging process. Um, so they, they usually take the longest, but you should be able to have to be able to give them a general timeline. The red flags would be, you go in and you say, what the timeline? And they say, don't worry about it. I'll call you when it's done. Yeah. You better be careful with that one because I've had a buddy, I had a buddy that had an elk in with a taxidermist one time and it was in there for seven years. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, dude, and, I, I, I know this dude, he dropped yeah. it off at the, uh, at the taxidermist and the dude like went out of business or something and moved out of state and he never got, it, it was like a 340 bowl, uh, and never yeah. got it back. And you hear that. And that's, that's kind of the crazy thing. Now, there are guys, I mean, there's a guy over kind of in your neck of woods that does phenomenal cougars. And anybody that knows taxidermy knows who I'm talking about. Well, you can he, say his, his name on here. Line, we don't care. Well, it's, it's, so Phil Sousey, he is the cat man. I mean, he is phenomenal cougars. Now, Sweet. he takes years, and he tells people that. And people are okay with that if they're willing to. It's just the people that are really vague and don't give you an answer, you got to be really careful with them. Okay. okay. Um, you know, as far as like references, that some of the other red flags, it's, you know, a lot of it is kind of that, that spider sense that you may get, you know, if someone's not being real particular in what the price is, things can always change with prices as far as like, you know, if you bring in a bowl that you cut way up the brisket, yeah, there might be a cost increase because they have some extra stitching to do. But if a guy's like, well, you know, it, well, let's do this, but it could probably change. You know, you got to be kind of leery of that, you know. Um, hmm. The other thing, okay. and the other thing too, is going back to references. It's all about references. Talk to people that have used them and, you know, anything that you, you know, anything that was a problem or anything like that. And you'll know, usually if there's a taxidermist that either A, doesn't do good work or is not very truthful on timelines or takes an, ins- an excessive amount of long time, they, they get known pretty quick. Um, and so, you know, the, you just kind of, uh, references go a long ways. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, it's like anything, right? The references, the reputation, sure. it gets around. I, I don't imagine, I can't imagine that a a terrible taxidermist, that somebody with no talent and, and just is shady, does shady work, does shady business, you know, dealings, whatever, rips people off. Um, I, I can't imagine they stay in business for very long because it just, there's too many ways for things to spread with the internet and everything else these days uh, and online reviews, which I don't fully trust those, but you know, right. there, there is, yeah. there can be a theme that you could, you know, figure out just by going through and reading them. So do, yeah, does absolutely. your wife, uh, are you married? I am. I'm married. I have two kids. How old are your kids? I've got a eight year old and she's going on 24 uh-huh. and I've got a, I've got a three year old and he's not afraid of anything in this world. So sweet. That's awesome, yeah. man. We'll have to get the yeah. kids together one time. Um, yeah, absolutely. does your wife make you watch the bachelor? <laughs> Oh, I'm sure she tries. I I usually walk <laughs> in and it's usually usually the comment out of my mouth is you watch this garbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but, I I oblige but, my wife on that one. Yeah. And and I was <laughs> I'm asking you. I only do that because it scores me points uh, in for for hunting season and in time I'm right. I'm able to spend. So I'm you know and I'll even get into it because if you're watching it you just automatically get into it. And yeah. I I thought it was the dumbest shit I've ever seen, but. 
that on one of the seasons a couple of years ago, one of the girls on The Bachelor was a taxidermist on the side sure. or something. Yeah. And like as on the date, you know, they, they, they choose to go on these little dates or whatever and they go out and she took him to the taxidermy shop. Oh, no. <laughs> and oh, this, no. you know, is they don't have normal dudes on The Bachelor. They're always these demasculated pussies that yeah. just, you know, I thought he was going to turn red and faint and fall on the floor right there over this. Right. And and she, right. you know, was trying to explain that it's it's a form of art and, and doing this and doing that and talking about it. But it was interesting to me that in... Again, this can be a whole other podcast, but in, in the societal, what we consider societal norms today, they'd put something like that on The Bachelor. Um, right. And I, I actually was happy they did it because it, it she did a good job at shedding some light as to what taxidermy is. It's not like some creepy thing because that's how wow. mainstream folks sometimes portray it. It's like, oh, it's mm-hmm. it, real creepy. They got this weird morbid side to them. No. It, it, it's not. It's a preservation thing. It's a. It's an art form. It's a. All these things. I've always admired taxidermists because I certainly do not have the discipline to become a taxidermist. So I don't it's, know how I got off weird. on that rant. No, I. I don't have. That's what some people say. They say, "How do you? How do you have the patience for this?" And I am not a patient person. You can ask my wife. I mean, I'm. You know, that's one reason why I got into firefighting, man. I. I cannot sit in a desk and just. Yeah. You know, yeah, I can't but, either, man. <laughs> but but I think there's just some things that just kind of they're they're your they're your shtick, man. They just they click. It just, and that's yeah, one of them yeah. that, that I've been that I've been fortunate that I've got just enough OCD in me and I'm patient enough just for that that it it it's I find pleasure in. So, do you like have a is there a, with taxidermists is there like this negative connotation towards uh, dudes like me that do their own Euro mounts, like, like we're just a bunch of oh, amateur no. suckers. <laughs> no, Does that make not sense? at all. I, no, I have a fair amount of guys that will call up and, and, you know, they, they ask now and kind of like what we spoke about earlier, you know, in the, in the taxidermy world in of itself, that's one thing that I, that I don't like about the taxidermy world. There's first off, there's two different kinds of taxidermy. There there's show tax. Well, there's actually three. There's three different kinds of taxidermy. The first kind of taxidermy is Uncle Bob that works in his garage says, "Yeah, I'll mount your deer up," sure. and you usually get it back, and it's 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 a skin on a form, but the thing looks like it's got schizophrenia or something, or a little bit of cross-eyedness <laughs> to it. So you know, it's you know, you, yeah, you have you have those you have those kind of taxidermy, which is fine. You know, the nostrils are at do, different levels on right, the muzzle, right? <laughs> you know, and and they think it looks great, and that that's fine. You know. Um, then the other time in taxidermy is there's, there's show taxidermy where these guys will spend, you know, these guys can compete on a state, national, international level, and they're spending eight hours alone on an ear, you know, for the veining and everything else. Sure. Um, and these deer are judged to the highest level, everything from the glass in the eyes to the, to the eyelashes. I mean, it's, it's insane work. And those guys, they, they are incredible. Those are the true artists. And then you have what 95% of all other taxidermy, which is, which is commercial taxidermy. And, you know, that's, it, it all looks really good. A lot of those guys will compete on a show level at some point. Uh, just, and it's good to do that because you kind of get to see what insanely good work looks like. But for the most part, when you go in and you're, you couldn't afford a show piece unless you're Bill Gates or someone like that. Like you just, there's yeah, no way you yeah, could yeah. afford it. So most of the time you're getting, and commercial taxidermy is really good, 
Um, but that's, you know, it's about, it's about, you know, turn around and, and get, get stuff done. But to answer your question, no, there's in the, in, I offer help as much as I can. Now there's secrets to everything that we do. Everybody like my Europeans that I do, I do about 300 of them a year. Um, when you do you the know, bugs they, and all that. We do, but the bugs, that's the thing. The bugs is just a very small process in it. Um, you know, the mm. bugs, all the bugs do is they get the meat off the skull. The real true art to attack to a European is the degreasing process. And so, um, you know, you have to kind of that, that takes in a step of itself and it kind of takes a little bit of time and there's some steps to it and I'll help people, you know, do their own. That doesn't bother me one bit. So, so there, okay. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to ask you, man, (laughs) and I'll pay you, I'll pay you for the advice, uh, you know, but, um, I do, I boil mine. But I put a little right. dish soap in there to kind of degrease it, and yeah. it seems to do pretty good. But I mean, mine are not show ready. Mine are just you. Th- I throw them on the on the wall. They're way up. People can't like if people got close to them, they'd be like, "Who who did this shit work?" You know, you, you know what I mean. And yeah. and I'm okay yeah. with that. It's just it's more of a thing for me that I enjoy doing it. I, en- I enjoy doing it and getting the, the getting the school as wide as I can and all this stuff. But uh, anyway, the, the long way to a short answer is, is that appropriate? Throwing a little dish soap in there to kind of get the grease off or is that just laughable in your mind? And be oh, honest, no. be honest. It's, you can rip me apart. Dude. No, no, absolutely. No, no. Yeah, that's absolutely good. I, I mean, shoot, I used to do it with my buddies back when we'd all shoot blacktails and we'd go and sit around a half rack of beer and freaking boil heads out for yeah, the day. Yeah, yeah. But th- there, there's there's two things with that that you got to be careful of. Is one, boiling heads is really, really hard on them. Let me guess. you Probably your nasal cavities and stuff, get you know, like the nose bones start getting really loose. Okay. And you have some teeth that fall out. Yes, but I, I have gotten to a point in which... Uh, well, I'm not defending my work. I'm not trying to defend my work. I, I it, it is... The last four or five deer that I did and the last elk I did uh, by myself, I saved the nasal cavity bone there. Yeah. And it's still intact. So, but I, yeah, it took and, me a long time to get to that point. Yeah. And it and what you're doing is fine, especially for someone that just wants to put them there. Um, you know, at the end of the day, what, what you're happy with, that's fine. I don't. It doesn't matter to me if someone wants that. Yes, that's what I tell people. The other trick you can do, honestly, is. If you're going to do the boiling method, one, this is where I'm probably going to get in trouble with other taxidermists, not necessarily myself. <laughs> but divulge an industry secret, right? Yeah, I'm going to get I'm going to get all kinds of calls later. Be like, you son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> no, so the trick is is not to boil them to get to that point where it's like kind of rolling, but not quite, not quite boiling. You know? Oh yeah. And yeah. then the other that's, that's what I do. And so yeah, it's just, for sure. Just kind of simmering. Yep. And then the other thing is Dawn dishwashing soap looks good. The other thing you can you really use is after a lot of that meat comes off. Man, do the OxyClean. Put a half a scoop of OxyClean in there. Doesn't that have bleach and in it, though? It does a little bit, but not enough. It's not going to affect that skull like you would think it's going to. Does it Does um, it bleach but, the bottom of the antlers? No, it doesn't. Okay. It okay. won't do that. It Just leave it in there for two or three hours. The thing with boiling them is that the one step that you're missing with boiling, and that that's the thing is people that want to do their own thing, it doesn't bother me one bit. I, at, at, the, at the risk of sounding cocky and i'm not um i've got more work than i know what to do with so it's not going to necessarily take away business for me but one thing that does get somewhat irritating is people that will get on like some of these sites 
and they'll be like, don't take it to a taxidermist. I can do it just as good. And they'll show a skull that they literally just got done whitening. And the thing looks freaking awesome. Now, what they're not showing you is what that skull looks like in four to six months. Yeah. Because what's going to happen is, is all the grease spots are going to pop. They do. And they're going to start yep. getting, they're going to start getting discolored and you might have a little bit of a smell. Yep. I would, so I would, I would second that opinion, uh, hands down. I've had that happen to me many yes. times. So, yeah. Um, and so with boiling, that's what you don't get is you don't get that long degreasing period that you truly need. So when you whiten it, it doesn't, those don't happen. Okay. And so that's, that's, that's what you kind of miss on that. All right. Well, we, I, I, I derailed this whole conversation here, and I don't—I don't mean to get you to <laughs> divulge industry secrets, but no, you know, honestly, no, no. In, in my defense, I have not shot any. If I shoot something that is like worthy of a skill level on your level, like you, mm-hmm. um, I'm bringing it to you. But yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I just—I've never shot like a 350-inch bull elk. You know, it's just not—I just throw them up in the shop or whatever. So right. Uh, Anyways, that that might change. Yeah, you know that might change, and yeah. so I think that that's a lot of what it is. I have shot some rather large mule deer. I wish I would have taken to somebody like you uh, in the past, but um, again, I like you grabbed a six pack of beer and did it myself and broke the nasal Absolutely. bone and uh, all that kind of stuff. So, if you're anything like me. Hunting is a year-round thing for you, and we're always thinking about how to make our next upcoming season a little bit better, and one way to do that is with gear. And you guys know I'm not a big gear junkie, but I do have some important gear items that I'm always a huge fan of, and they're right here available on this show. Let's talk about Scree gear. Scree is my go-to camo. Scree is high-performance hunting attire and gear, scientifically tested camo patterns, and all backed by a great company, and I wouldn't recommend it to you if I didn't truly believe in the Scree product. They've got a complete layering system for all terrain and conditions, gear designed to adapt to the weather. It's rugged gear. It's got a lifetime warranty, VIP sizing and exchange program. You can't go wrong with Scree. Get the best out there without breaking the bank, and to make it even better, use promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Hell of a deal. Check it out at ScreeGear.com. Next on the list is my oldest and fondest sponsor of the show is Phelps Game Calls. One thing I love about companies like Phelps Game Calls is the American success story that came out of it. And Phelps started in Jason Phelps' garage years ago, and it's now one of the premier hunting call companies on the market. And I wouldn't point you in that direction if I didn't feel like they were the best calls available. Jump on phelpsgamecalls.com. When you find a call you like, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. I promise you, you will not regret it. Hoffman Boots. Hoffman Boots is a go-to boot company I've been using for years and years and years. And the cool thing about it is I'm only on my second pair of Hoffman Explorers. I put lots of miles on my Hoffman Explorers. They're a great boot. They're not going to cost you a small fortune to get. And they have all the same guarantees and warranties that every other company out there has. If you want to be confident, guys, do not skimp on boots. Go to HoffmanBoots.com get you a pair of for for me i like the eight inch explorers but they also have a six inch they have all sorts of different options check it out at hoppinboots.com and use promo code huntsman10 all caps lock for 10 percent off and last but not least is tacticam 
Are you interested in filming your hunt? And are you interested in helping with conservation efforts throughout the uh, North American continent? Well, then I got a deal for you. Tacticam is a point of view type kind of camera that records in 4G. They also have other products like the film through scope, the FTS, and you attach that to your rifle scope and you can film your shot right there. And they have the mounts for your shoulder, for your head. They get, You can mount it to your bow. You can mount it to wherever and whatever you want. Lots of versatility with the Tacticam. Other products include, but are not limited to, the fisheye camera. The Tacticam Spotter LR is definitely worth a look if you want to film what you're seeing through your glass while you're actively hunting and get it on camera. It's a great thing. But I think that the thing that I'm most excited about with Tacticam this year is the new Reveal uh, cell cam that is coming out. This kind of this trail camera <clears throat> will send you images in real time as they're coming in. They've got like an enhanced antenna for better service. If you're like managing property or something like that, or you've got a bear bait set up somewhere that you have phone service, you can get those pictures right there to your phone. This uh, cell cam is super, super cool. I'm really excited about it. And you can get all this at the westernhuntsman.com forward slash gear. Go to the gear shop. You'll find all the Tacticam stuff right there. Uh, best pricing out there on it. And uh, what happens is we split the uh, profitable revenue from these sales of the Tacticam gear and half of it goes to conservation efforts, uh, which vary depending on what quarter of the year it is. Right now we're raising money and trying to get some money over to Sportsman's Alliance. It's a great cause, and that is what's going to go down when you shop for Tacticam gear at thewesternhuntsman.com. So go over there and check it out and get you a camera. Guys, let's get back into it. I sure appreciate it. Let's yeah. get back to we, we kind of covered that pretty good. Let's let's get back to the the tools that you recommend hunters yeah. take in the field, uh, and yeah. and kind of roll through that, and then we're going to talk about caping it out. Yep. So we'll so let's let's figuratively say someone's getting ready to go into a backcountry hunt, okay? And mm-hmm. they are going to potentially, or even shoot. I mean, even like I said, even if they're going in their backyard and they have an animal that they that they want to cape out. Um, Two things that two things or one thing that we deal with in the taxidermy side of things is is one some improper caping techniques which we'll go into a little bit later on. The other thing that we deal with is that people tend tend to not have the right types of tools, and I mean even as far as going by knives. A lot of times people want to take you know grandpa's old knife as a as a heritage thing to take in there and use, and there's nothing wrong with that. I have one myself, but a lot of times what you're finding is they're not having the sharpest tool to make the cuts that they need to have. Um, I use, you know, two of the really best knives that I think you can use as far as like caping stuff the, the two tools you should take in there. If you know, you're going to be caping an animal out is one is get one of those flathead screwdrivers, like those real short ones, but the real stocky ones, they call them shorties. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. yep. The other, the other thing is a really good blade. And what I mean by a really good blade is something that may be potentially replaceable. So like a Havilon, I like the outdoor edge cause they have a reinforced spine. The Havilon sometimes are a little flimsy. Um, so like if you're working on something, a real thick hide, like a moose or an elk, uh, you know, if you're not careful, they can, they can tend to break on you, but it's something super, super sharp. So when you're making that cut, it's a nice clean cut. You don't have jagged edges. Cause when you have jagged edges from an animal that's brought in, what happens is, is we, when we, when you try and sew that together, one, it's a huge bucket. 
The other thing too is that if it has a jagged edge, a lot of times what we're forced to do is actually recut that seam line so that it, when we stitch it together, it comes together in a very nice clean seam and it holds the stitch. It it hides the stitching line. So um, it's okay. Okay, so a, a straight cut is achieved better. Obviously, we're gonna we're gonna want to talk about you know nice sharp blades and all that. I use the yep. that Gerber. I can't remember the name of it. Um, it's a replaceable blade. Type. Yeah, and I love any it. other. I freaking love any it. other replaceable. Yeah, any other replace. I mean, you can. I can't. I'm not gonna say that you shouldn't have a regular knife. It just needs oh, to yeah. be really sharp. And typically, we have someone that has like a fixed blade knife or their traditional hunting knife they've had forever. It's not as sharp as what it needs to be in order to cut some of these hides in a nice. Nice, even line. How's about my uh, Rambo get... knife with the compass on the Yeah, panel? right. That That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It weighs three pounds. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You can club <laughs> the deer over the head if it's not quite dead. And, You're dang you know, right. Keep going. You're dang right. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's good advice. So the knife and then the, and then the, the flathead screwdriver. And the flathead screwdriver, especially with an animal that has a horn, or an antler, I should take that back, is that everybody wants to, you know, it, so there's two ways to cape an animal. You can cape an animal for just a shoulder mount, which is what 95% of the animals that come in here come in for a shoulder mount is they leave the head in the skin. So it comes in with the head still in the skin with the cape or, you know, the cape all the way back to about mid body for a shoulder mount. Okay. The other way to do it, the other way to do it. And I, Highly recommend that unless you have done this several times, you don't do it. However, the guys that go into the backcountry, it is a skill that, man, if you know how to do, it will save you, one, so much weight, and two, the longevity of that hide will triple, if not quadruple, from the time you're in the backcountry. And that is being able to take the skull off or take the hide off the skull in a manner to preserve all of the – all of the um, I can't think of it. All the tissue and stuff that we need in order to do a mount. Oh, all the that inside, seems pretty all the, challenging. Yeah, and it and it it's not hard, but you need to be able to have done it once or twice, you know, before you just go ahead and start doing it. Because we have guys that will try and do it, guys and gals that will try and do it first time in their feet in the field, and they'll usually cut the scent glands off or they'll nick the eyes, and it's the places that are the hardest to fix that inevitably, inevitably that's the area that gets hit. So, you know, there, there's, you got to be really careful because I call them YouTube warriors. You have guys that get on there and they watch a YouTube video on how to, you know, take the skull off or take the cape <laughs> of the, the skin of an elk off the skull. And then they're like, all right, we got it. And then they go out and then they'll come in like, oh yeah, I watched a YouTube video and I'm not kidding you. Very rarely is it done or there isn't some pretty significant mix where it's going to affect, you're going to see it no matter what you do. It's sure. going to be really hard to fix. Sure. There, and there's there's classes. I'm actually going to be probably offering a class this next year um, at potentially at a at a local archery shop here at Lucky Shot Archery. We're talking about doing that so we can have like a, a seminar. Guys can come out and actually learn to take the the hide off and skull of an I, animal. See, I would I would love to do a seminar, go to a seminar like that, and and like have you come out here and do one in like Idaho, you know, North Idaho or something, because when you say be able to get the the height off the skull for 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 me when I'm doing like a, a euro mount myself. That's mm-hmm. always the, the most time consuming thing for me is getting the getting it all off the the skull. Um, it's a pain in the butt. And yeah, so, well euro mounts euro mounts aren't bad. I can do a 
Well, you, yeah, do. but you're a professional. I, you know, well, you're, when you do, uh, when you do I have an of... IQ of nine, and so to to oh, you oh, know, well, I'm not claiming I'm not claiming I'm smart. <laughs> Let's get that straight right now. But, but when you when you have when you have as much time doing it as you can, I actually like I actually timed myself once on how long it took to take the skin off a deer for a, for a euro mount. Now, granted, this was not something I was going to use for a cape, but I can have one off in about two minutes and 40 seconds flat, completely clean, ready for the Beatles. Man, that's a lot better so. than my 24 hours and 27 minutes. <laughs> so two, three beers. So. Well, yeah. Well, a lot more than that, but um, <laughs> when, when you're, when you're talking about doing one of these seminars, how do you, yeah. how do you show that? What do you bring in some well, roadkill or something? Yeah. So that therein lies the challenge with doing something like that. And there's two ways of doing it is one, you tell everybody, Hey, if you go out and you shoot a deer, save the Cape, leave the head in the skull. You don't have to save the Cape, just leave the head in with it on there. And I can show you how to do it. What I'm looking into for the seminar that we're talking about potentially coming up is I will actually go to a couple of these dairy farms and actually they have the calves that, you know, the dairy calves that die Mm -hmm. and they would basically give me the dairy calves and I would take the head and the cape and I would have a bunch of these all, I would freeze them. And then the time before the seminar, we would bring these in and we would go over on how to remove these from the skull so that you get an accurate depiction of what you're doing. Now, the only caveat to that is you're not going to have antlers to work with, but we can talk about that. And that's not that hard. God, that's um, cool, man. I'd love to do that. Yeah. So that's, that's my plan for the next year. This is the entrepreneur in me coming out, but. Uh, that's, uh, we'll we'll that's stay my, in touch, dude. We're, we're yeah, going to get you to Idaho. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to come there. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, you know, you can kind of, you can teach a lot because where the screw ups kind of happen is right around the scent glands and the, and the eyes and then starting it. Everybody kind of starts it from the, the back of the head forward and no, you should start it from the mouth forward, mouth back. But okay. well, that's, that's a whole, that's a whole different topic in and of itself. Yeah, so. no, that's good information though, because I, um, my, my initial reaction is to go from, from the neck forward, not, not from the mouth back, you know? And so, yeah, that, you want to, you want to start at the mouth and get, you know, halfway up that face. And then that way, when you finally roll that tape forward or when it comes off the skull, because what happens is you get down there and then you end up sending a blade right through a, right through the nose or something like that. Yep. So, yep. I've done that. But mm-hmm. okay. yep. so anyway, so, you know, that's kind of a quick and easy as far as the tools that you need to take back in there. Um, and that is if you're caving, if not, if you're not going to be taking it all the way off the skull, you know, just take a really nice sharp blade with you. And that, that kind of leads us into the next one, which is kind of, kind of some of the cuts that, that you want to do. It's, it's really hard to describe you know, what cuts that we're talking about without showing like a, a picture of them. And, but, and, and Joel, before we go there, can yep. I ask you one question? Um, Certainly. When, getting back and in reference to uh, leaving the skull in to take it to a taxidermist or, or removing it, uh, you know, in the field, the, I think the question is going to pop into a lot of listeners' minds because you're you're talking about doing one of these seminars. It's it's hunting season. I mean, hunting season is yeah. on us now, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's not going to happen prior to hunting season. Nope. Um, the 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 question I would have is, what is the cost difference between? Uh, and and just you don't have to give us an exact number, but like ballpark is a cost difference between taking the skull. Uh, or I'm sorry, the hide off the skull versus leaving the skull in and having the taxidermist do it. Well, and that's the thing that I should probably say too, is that what I'm telling you is, you know, like what I'm telling the listeners and stuff, as far as taking the skull out of it, 
if you have a taxidermist that you're going to use, check with him first before you before you just go ahead and do that. Because yeah, that's a good point. A, a, a lot of guys. So, well, I can use me as an example. If some guy called me up tomorrow and said, man, I got this moose hunt going. Uh, you know, I went and did this skinning technique and, and I think I'm proficient at it. What do you think about me taking the skull off? I can tell you what I'm going to tell him. And that's going to be, uh, I would prefer that you don't, but if you have to go ahead, but really pay attention. And I may even actually say, Hey, why don't you come by for a visit? We'll go over a few things first. So don't just do it and then expect taking a taxidermist and yeah, Joel Black over taxidermist said, this is the way I do it. And then, you know, next thing I know, I get a bunch of nasty grounds. And then so, I'll get them too. Oh, I heard them on the Western Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I'm going to defer to you. Well, you know, I love it, man. Me, so, um, so that's one thing you always want to run by your taxidermist and just say, Hey, is this what you would prefer to do? Um, good point. So that, you know, yeah. Okay. That, well, that that that, that answers that. That that answers that. I think we'll just leave it at that because that's going to be super dependent too on who your taxidermist is and you know with their price structure and it, right. it amazes me. Like we hit we have listeners all over the country, all over the uh, well, I mean all over the world, man. I get this weird, and I, I've talked about this on the on the some past episodes. We get some strange country that'll pop up on my downloads map, like one mm-hmm. dude in like. Indonesia or something will download every week for I don't know a couple months and then he'll stop and then some other country will pop up. <laughs> Anyways, the point being, taxidermists in Texas are going to be costing you know they're going to cost different than somebody in New York versus Washington yes. versus you know Montana. Uh, you know your market, your regional marketplace is going to dictate a lot of those prices. So, um, yeah, moving to, on. Oh, go ahead. As far as far as the prices too, to get back to your original question, there's really no difference if some guy takes it off the skull. I'm not going to cut him. I'm not really going to take off any cost on that uh, just because it's a skill that it may have taken him very long time to do, but it's not going to take me. It's not going to change your time. time frame. Yeah. Okay. So like if this guy comes in, he's got a black tail and he's taking it off the skull. I've got some guys that kind of live out by the coast and they are, they're one of, they're one group of my clients that when they say, Hey, we got some bucks, we already caped them out and took them off the skull. I know for a fact, I'm like, okay, I know they did good. Um, cool. and when they come in, I don't really give them a cost break just because it doesn't really, I'm not trying to be a stickler. It just doesn't really take that much time to do the real, the real labor is then what we call turning the capes, which is we turn the lips, ears and eyes inside out. That's what takes the labor in it. But that's, hmm. that's down the road in the taxidermy process. So I wish I was a good enough hunter to be like, yes, Joel, I will see you next year with my giant monarch. <laughs> I'll call you and let you know that I've caped it out over the skull and we'll be in good shape, friend. Right. Right. <laughs> no, you know, the I'm one, just not the that one, good. The ones that scare me are the are the my high rollers, you know, the guys that make a lot of money and they go on those exotic hunts, and I and I love those guys because they bring me in some really cool stuff. But they always scare me because they'll go to New Zealand or they'll go down to old Mexico or they'll go on some of these, you know, real rare ones, and they're like, oh yeah, the guys there, the guys there did all the work. I'm sure it's fine. Mm-hmm. I can tell you right now that just because it's a professional guy that did it, that doesn't mean jack squat. Sometimes I've had stuff brought in. I'm like. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Did you skin this thing with a John Deere riding lawnmower, or what did you do? <laughs> so you, it's, it's, it's just because of you know. And so it, anyway, it, you get all kinds sometimes when you get some of these animals in. And oh, like I said, man. you can you can you can fix a lot of stuff, but some things it's just kind of you know. And that yeah, and that's yeah. what that's that's what a lot of guys kind of you know forget kind of going into the next thing is just you know the cuts and things like that. So. Yeah, I have a feeling you have multiple campfire stories uh, that we can, oh we, can my we can go back gosh. and forth on with with that kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, 
Okay, let's roll into that then. The caping skinning methods and special consideration for most common species in the western states. That is very well articulated by our our humble guest here, Joel. (laughs) And I'm pretty – I'm actually really glad you laid this out. Like It keeps me on track. So I'd love to talk about caping and skinning methods. I don't think that gets covered enough. No, and – so I'm going to cover just a few of these, the, the major species because all of them are a lot of them are very similar. Any of the ungulates, so any of the elk, deer, moose, they're all pretty much the same as far as like if you're going to do a shoulder mount. Um, the two, as I as we talked earlier on the phone, the two species that I see that that are screwed up the most are bears and elk, and we'll kind of go into oh, that. Okay, that, a little I wouldn't bit have thought later. that. Okay, yeah. yeah, and and a lot of times. So like with deer, moose, and elk, any antelope, you name it, anything that you're going to do in a shoulder mount, any horned or antlered animal, if you're going to be doing a shoulder mount, the big mess up that we see is a lot of times people will not get enough brisket on the animal or they won't, and it usually goes hand in hand, or they won't go far enough back. If you look, and what I mean by far enough back is that you get an animal on the ground and you're like, this is something I want to turn into a shoulder mount. Usually the first cut you're going to do is a circumference cut around the circumference of the animal that is where the shoulder mount needs to end, if mm-hmm. you will, where the, where the form meets the wall. If you get on, if you get on the internet, there's all kinds of different formulas, if you will. Oh, you need to go three inches behind the second rib. Man, don't, don't listen to any of that crap. The best way to do it is go literally halfway around the midsection of the animal and make a circumference cut all the way around the midsection of the animal. Okay, so when um, you when you say that, I'm gonna overshoot that in my mind because I don't mm-hmm. I don't want to jack this up. So I, let's yep. let's talk about we've got an elk laying on the ground and we're like, holy yep. crap! I can't believe I just shot this giant bull, and I I want a shoulder mount on this. For in in my mind, and I want you to correct me, um, in my mind, I'm gonna take that cut back to you know that that area almost right as the rib cage ends. Where, where mm-hmm. it starts getting a little bit thinner and, you know, you're just kind of before the groin area by, I don't know, maybe six inches or so, maybe eight inches. I can't, I, I don't know. I've never measured that. Uh, yeah. And, I always and, tell and people. going to take more than, than come in with less. Make sense? Yep. Yep. Where so am I wrong? A good way, no, a good way to measure it is, is go, you know, everybody knows where the paunch is on an animal. Uh-huh. It's that little, if you basically go to the paunch and you go and then there's the spot right between the shoulder blades and split the difference. That's about halfway of an animal. Okay. I hope that makes sense. Yep. So basically the spine in between the two shoulder blades and the paunch split the difference. That's where you make your circumference cut all the way around. And okay. that, that doesn't take any guess out of it because you can't, you can't guess. Uh, if you end up guessing and people are trying to get, I mean, let's be honest, I'm a backcountry hunter myself. When you get an elk down, man, everything's about weight, right? Yeah. So you want to keep as least amount of weight on there. So I get it where people want to like, hey, this is what he needs. This is what the taxidermist needs. Let's cut it right here. The problem is, is man, you're really skating the line and you're also skating the line because there's a lot of new forms on the market right now that incorporate more of the leg on the elk. Yeah, or if you that. decide... Or if you decide that you want to do like a pedestal mount or something like that, they need more hide than your standard shoulder mount. So don't and and if you get if you get half the animal, you're gonna be fine. So don't don't guess. Just take half of it. Yeah, you've got another five pounds, but I'm telling you, in the long run, your taxidermist is gonna be happier. 
and you're going to be really glad you did that versus a taxidermist calling you going, holy smokes, you know, you're, I don't have enough here. It's going to be really tough to get this done. This is nuts, man. I just switched over on your, your galleries page. You've done some Mm -hmm. huge ass blacktail, man. Do you have like some GPS coordinates where those were taken? (laughs) You know how many people come into the shop every year and they look at it, they look at one and they're like, Where'd that where that one? Where's that? Because Can you show me. <laughs> because the state of the state of Washington fish and game, I they give me a game book and I have to keep track of where all these bucks come from, or any any wildlife. And so oh, some of these that. guys, yeah. And but I mean, you know, you let out one secret, which I'm not. I'm a hunter myself. I know how it is. You know, as Jason Phelps says, you play the public lands dance. You know. Yeah. Where'd yeah, you, yeah. you you guys see anything? No, I don't oh, know. I haven't seen anything. So. It's, <laughs> It's the same thing. You get some of these guys that come in, they're like, where'd that come from? And I just always tell them the same, which I'm being honest. A lot of the time, like, ah, I can't remember. But mm-hmm. yeah, you, there's some, there are some monsters. Oh, you should see some of the black tails from this year. Why don't you just there's tell some- them? Like, it's none your business. You ever heard of that oh. location? Oh, no, like, I like, do. You, you don't ask but, that question. There's a couple of guys, you know, that are pretty big hunters and stuff. And they'll come in and they'll work. Where'd that one come from? And I just give them a look like, really, dude? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always no. say it jokingly. I don't expect anybody. I, I actually said it jokingly to a dude locally here. He was showing uh-huh. me a picture of his bull. Was it a bull or it could have been a wolf? I can't remember which one it was. Anyway, I was joking. Like, Whoa, where'd you get him, man? I need to go there. <laughs> and he yeah. actually told me. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Thanks, man. I, um, I shouldn't had a- have done that. I had a guy last year I was talking to about an Idaho spot and he brought in this really nice, really nice bowl and they consecutively be bringing nice bowls this ground. And I was just joking around. I was just like, Oh yeah. You know, you guys, you guys do pretty good. Other, yeah. We start at this trail and we go in. I'm like, dude, oh, you, don't tell, you don't want to be tell. You don't want to be telling me. Is this. he a local out in your area or is he an Idaho? Yes, no, he's a local here. Well, you better call so, him up and tell him we're going to tarn feather his ass. You, you don't, you don't <laughs> oh, give that kind of information out. So, tell me about it. Idaho doesn't even exist. Idaho. I know. I, the spot I used to hunt in Idaho with a couple of my buddies, it's been destroyed because of things like that. So yeah, the volcano, the, the volcano that came in and melted the entire state really sucks. I right, really, right. Uh, sorry for all those that drew tags here, but yeah, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, so anyway. yeah, getting back to that. Getting back to that. Um, okay. Basically. Well, take it from where you were, man. I, I, yeah. I'm, like, I'm so controlled with these pictures. Yep. So we do the circum. The best thing to do that is do the circumference cut, and then you want to go around on a shoulder mount. You want to, the easiest way to do it is go to the knee, make a cut all the way around the knee on a deer, elk, moose, antelope, whatever you, you know, any ungulate. And then you want to, you know, you basically want to make a, the third cut you want to do is you want to start from that circumference cut on the spine line. And you want to stay on the spine and make a cut all the way up to the back of the head. Don't go any further than the back of the head. If you find yourself between the ears, you went too far. And okay. that cut allows you to basically unfold the neck, if you will. Mm-hmm. You want to skin down both sides. And again, we're talking about using a really sharp knife when you do this. A lot of times, you know, let's let's be honest. I'm a hunter myself. These animals never die in the most convenience of spots, okay? It's really easy for me to say to do this and to even demonstrate it on a big cement floor in the shop. But, you know, when they die on a steep hillside and you're tying a front leg up because they're getting ready to slide down the rest of the hill, I, I get it. So, you know, mm-hmm. mistakes can happen. But if you have an animal that's positioned right, you want to make sure and do the cuts you can. So stay right on that spine line. Don't waver off to the side because it can it can affect the sewing process later on. So that essentially, those are your, those are your three main cuts or four, if you count each leg. And 
you basically want to unfold that cape from the neck and then you want to tube the legs out and tubing mean is you, you know, you basically kind of unglove it, if you will, don't make a cut up the back of the legs. Some of these animals, especially deer that are pretty small, like some of these whitetails, it's really hard to, to tube that leg or slip that leg out without making a cut on the back. If you have to make a cut on the back of the leg, there's two distinct hairlines on the back of any animal's leg. One is on the inside of the leg, which ends up going into the armpit. And the other one is the outside or is the, is the very back of the leg where the two hair colors come together. That's the one you want to stay on. If you have to make a cut, stay on that line that goes up the very back of the leg and don't cut up all the way. Just cut up enough to where you can basically allow you to slip that leg out. And that will kind of free up that entire cape for you to, to take in the taxidermist. Um, where people screw up with those animals is when they're making their circumference cut, the biggest mistake I see, and it doesn't matter if it's moose, blacktail, elk, it doesn't matter, is that when they're making their circumference cut, for some reason, when people are making that cut down and they're getting down by the brisket, instead of staying in a straight line and going up the other side of the animal, they automatically kind of cut up towards the brisket or get into the brisket. Does that make sense? Re-explain that, actually, because that that did not make sense the way... Okay, so let's say you have an elk down and you're making your first cut, which is your circumference cut, right? Uh huh. And you start up at the spine, you start down the right side of the animal, and you're going to make a cut, a loop that goes all the way around the circumference of the animal. The problem is, is when people are making their cut down the side of the body, they inadvertently come up towards the chest area. They don't stay the same distance as they did at the top of the spine. Oh, so gotcha, they gotcha, end gotcha. up they end okay. up cutting up into the brisket. What most people don't understand with the taxidermy process is that most of the slack that comes from a shoulder mount mm-hmm. is dictated by the length of the brisket. So if you've cut a brisket too short, you've got no slack up top in order to pull that. It just doesn't work very well. Okay. And for some reason, that's that's what happens. Is I see a lot of elk where they they cut the brisket. Elk, you know, have they come down, they go tan, 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 and then they get into that dark hair, and then it starts getting into like that curly dark hair right at the brisket. Yeah. And I'll have a ton of elk that will come in, and there's no dark hair. They just like cut the brisket completely off. Shit. And and it's and it's like, well, we've got two options: either we recape this animal, we use a different cape, or you know, we have to cut a form down, which you're not gonna like. Um. And, you know, that's one of those mistakes we talk about. We can fix most stuff, but if the material is not there. I, I can't make it magically appear. Mm-hmm. So that's one area where people tend to really screw up as they get too far. Same with blacktails. You know, they have a big black patch right there, brisket, and they, they cut it off. Same with mule deer. They're real similar to a mule deer. They have that big black, you know, brisket. So um, that's one of the biggest mistakes that I see in the shop is that people cut too close to that brisket. Okay. Do you, um, Joel? Do you have like a video on your website or or on a YouTube channel? Uh, have you ever considered? Some, yeah. So actually, Hunt Washington, a local forum here, is actually 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 asked me to do a video. Is that Johnny um, Mac? Uh, no, uh, Bob. Uh, he goes by the name Bobcat. He's one of the administrators. Oh, gotcha. Um, okay. Okay. Robert, I think Rock. I can't remember his last name. His daughter brought in brought in a really cool deer a couple did years I, ago. Did I totally and, screw that up? I thought that was like Johnny Mac's platform oh no that's uh gosh i forget the guy's name 
I forget his name. Okay. He, he does cougar. He does cougar hunts all over the place. Everybody anyway. or everybody in Washington, forgive me for that. I, I I'm <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no. So they've actually asked me to do a video. I'd like to do that. The problem is, is a lot of times when hunting season rolls in, I'm flying just trying to get stuff put away and things like that. But I would actually like to sit down with a cape of an animal and go over all the major cuts. I recently did it with bears. So bear season just kicked off August 1st. We actually had spring bear season. And now August 1st, we have bear season and they have been falling here like you wouldn't believe. But um, I did a die. I did a video and it's on my Facebook account of I have a bear hide that's laid out. And we talk about the different cuts that you want to use for shoulder mounts or rugs or versus a full mount, stuff like that. Oh, and it so kind of yeah. it, it goes over some of the specifics, how to make the cuts, considerations if you're not sure what kind of mount you want to do. And then there's even a video, a recent video that I put on there on salting, which that is kind of one of, and one of the don'ts, and that is don't salt your hide, and we can talk about that later on. So, well, is there is there anything else you wanna you wanna cover on the caping side? Because I, I'd love to get into. Well, I, I I hate to keep you all night, but um, oh, no, I feel like fine. we're just getting into the nuts and bolts of this. Yeah. Um, I do need to point out I'm onto your scheme, uh, Joel. Oh. I'm on I'm on your galleries page here, and I uh-huh. notice you're hanging all these big elk and deer on the same tree. Yeah, that is so. That tree has become famous at my house. It looks pretty famous. So, it's yeah, pretty cool. So every, you know, it's funny because I have I have a big shop and it's got a big burnt cedar wall that I purposely did because it looks really cool for display and I take <laughs> photos on there. I have had since, and the shop is relatively new. We've only been in the new facility for about two years. Um, I have had people where I've taken a photo of their trophy and I've sent it to them, and I'm like, "Hey, it's done," and they're like. Man, can you really get a picture of it on that oak tree? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. That, that, that yeah. oak tree is famous. Dude, it's cool. It's like it's yeah. got these huge, beautiful branches and it's got this moss cover, you know, that, that's, that's famous for, for the Northwest. And, and it's just kind of a cool backdrop. I, I don't know. You know Good job with I, that. I feel, I feel really bad for the logger, whoever it is that takes that thing down eventually, because there are some serious nails in that thing. So. <laughs> They're going to go through some chainsaws, chains, yeah. you know, but, but that's yeah, okay. Bears, so, bears is about the only other thing to cover, and that's, you know, because we talked about a lot of the ungulates. Yep, um, yep, let's cover bears. You know, bears are the really big thing where you see the other screw up, and a lot of that kind of leads into one of the other tops, which is just kind of hide preservation. So once we talk about once you get the hide off of it. As far as bears, as far as cutting, there's two really distinct cuts that you're going to do. One's called a belly cut, which is also the same cut that we use for the rugs. Um, and that's the that's the cut that we, you know, that type of cut is the most generic, probably the way that 90% of all bears are skinned. The other cut is what we call a dorsal cut. A dorsal cut is exactly as it sounds. It goes right up the spine line, and that's the only cut you make. You basically glove the entire animal down. And, uh, that's for like full mounts. That's for shoulder mounts or half mounts, which are becoming really popular. Um, and that's just, you basically go from the tail all the way up to the back of the head. And then you just start peeling around it, go all the way down the legs. Um, where you see a lot of mess ups as far as cuts that are made in everything from bears to elk is that when people get down around the armpits, they don't take their time and they make cuts into the armpits. It's one of the thinnest spots on the animal. doesn't matter what species it is. And it's also oh, one yeah. of the hardest, it's also one of the hardest to hide by far. So, you know, you get that real thin armpit hair or that armpit hide of an elk and you have to stitch it. it you can imagine how much of a pain it is to hide it. So is that the same uh, if you're doing a bear rug? N- no, because the rugs, you're going to cut them up. You know, you're going to cut them up the center. Yes. When you get to the armpits, take your time. 
Um, okay. With rugs, with rugs, a lot of times we're going to dye the flanks. So the flanks, you know, on like a bear, are a lot lighter than the rest of the hide. One, because the hide is covered with a lot more hair on the entirety of the animal versus the armpit. So we'll dye the flanks. And uh, and so any stitching, it kind of hides it a heck of a lot better. But some of the other mounts, we don't always do that. So okay. you just got to be, be really careful around there. So And again, leave the with bears, you want to leave the paws in. You don't mm-hmm. want to try and take the paws out unless you've done it because those are very intricate taking those out. And then, of course, you want to leave the hide in as well or the head in as well. So I, I got a thing for bear rugs, man. I I, uh, I have not been a longtime bear hunter. I, in fact, I just started a couple of years ago. This is only my second spring bear season this year. Yeah. Uh, and I got screwed because we were moving. And so my, I, I just I didn't get a hunt very much. Um, but anyway, I, I do want to do a bear rug. And yeah. it's, it's like, cause my dad has one, you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I need one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say that's old probably, thing. yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I think that's 95% of everybody that gets their first bear. That's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's becoming really, really popular these days, is the packboard mounts. So uh, I do yeah, a lot yeah. of the, I do a lot of the packboard bears. I don't know if I have any up on the gallery. I should, but those things are, oh my gosh, I do so many of those stinking things here and they look awesome. Especially yeah, if you get a bear that's not real big, you can you can kind of hide the size by when you roll the hide up, you know, and put it into a pack board. It, it doesn't. Yeah, got a pack it board on a, it looks like a big mule deer or something. Yeah, on, on that, the gallery. That, yeah, that's a stud mule deer too. It is a stud mule deer. Man. <laughs> <laughs> like, shut up! Don't rub it in. I mean, yeah. well, it's yeah. not mine. I wish it was, but <laughs> <laughs> no, he's awesome. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Anything else we need to know about black bears? When no, I, I, I think that's good you know as far as the other stuff you know it's, it's pretty much similar as far as shoulder mounts and everything when you start like i said if you start getting into something where you're going to go on a you know a mountain goat or anything like that you know always check with your taxidermist you're going to use how they want to cut because you start getting into some of those more rare type breeds or or exotics you really need to ask your taxidermist how he wants to cut he'll go over that with you okay so. okay that, no that's great that's great advice actually um the thing that pops into my mind, I, I think we just touched on it, is is like the 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 preservation of the hide. You know, temperatures. What what do we need to do? You you had mentioned never to salt the hide. Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that's going to be surprising to hear. Yeah. Um. So let let's talk about that. Yeah. So you you're in the back. You know, give it start off with a you know I, scenario here, and you're in the backcountry eight miles. You've got an elk cape off this elk. The biggest thing that you want to do, one of the biggest fallacies that we see with degradation of that hide or what we call slipping, which is essentially the first start of decomposition on a hide to where the hair will naturally pull. Once that, oh, yeah. well, it'll just pull out. Once that starts, there ain't nothing you're going to do about it. It's done. Um, so don't, don't, if it, if the hide gets to that point and you're eight miles in, don't, don't even try getting it out. It's not going to work. Um, okay. But the big, is the best there, thing to what, do. What? I'm sorry, and maybe you said this and I missed it because I'm I, again mm-hmm. I'm stuck on your gallery here on the website. What yeah. what creates that? Is that heat? Is it time? Um, both. It's okay. a little bit of both. I mean, it's just the natural process, and the big thing that really starts it is heat. Um, so you will have. So I had a guy a couple of years ago, a client that that went up on a bear hunt up north. He shot two tremendous black bears. He shot a six foot eight black bear and a seven foot two black bear. Oh damn! They they skinned. They skinned them both out and immediately rolled them up and put them into a cooler. Okay, now everybody would think, oh, that's good. The problem is, is that is the best insulating rain gear that God ever made. <laughs> so when you when you roll that up, even if you put it into a freezer, 
the center of that roll is not going Hot. to get cool for three or four days. Gotcha. So what happened was, is we sent the, 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 the hide came into me. There was a little bit of a smell to it, but I didn't see anything that was real outstanding. And so we sent it off to the tannery, the tannery calling back and they're like, dude, this, this bear is slipping all over the place. It's the hair oh, spawn out everywhere through the tannery process. So I had to, and I didn't know what had happened at this point. I just knew that the guy brought these bears in. When I called the client and told him, which is I've only made that phone call a couple times in the years I've been doing this, and it's a horrible phone call to make. Yeah. Um, you know, he told me, I said, well, did you guys, he said, yeah, we skinned it up and rolled it away, rolled it and put it in the cooler. I said, did you guys lay it out and let it cool off first? And he goes, no, we just rolled it up and threw it in there. That's one of the biggest things that people forget is that once you get that thing, lay it out, put it, if you're out in the, if you're out in the back country to get an elk, put, lay that hide out, get it not in sun, put it in some shade. Even if it's 75 degrees out, let it cool off and let it get ambient temperature. If you have a little bit of a breeze, let it get over it. Let it cool off before you even roll it up and put it in a meat sack before well, you pack when it out. You're, when you're hanging it like that, are you are you hanging it like uh, first side up or vice versa? No, you want to put first side down. First side uh, down and let just, yeah. just let all that, that heat let escape. Yeah, let the heat escape. You know, Try and clean the hide off as best you can. Bears, it's really tough because their hair – or their hide, believe it or not, is super, super uh, easy to cut through. Yeah. So, you you know, with elk, you want to try and clean off as much as the red meat as you possibly can because that's going to hold the heat more than anything else. And how do you um, recommend cleaning that, the red well, meat Well, just, you know, just kind of take your time. It's just kind of, you know, when you try and, you know, when you're, you know, when you're a butcher, if you butcher your own elk up and you, you cut through the viscera sections of when you're quartering an elk or when you're boning out an elk. Uh-huh kind of the same principle there's usually a viscera level between the hide and the meat itself so if you can kind of find that and peel that away a little bit and get that off of there great you're not going to get everything but just get the real big chunks off of there to facilitate cooling that thing down okay can, and that's can, oh go ahead go ahead no no and, and that's also going to help with your weight too can so. i throw some scenarios at you absolutely okay september it's 79 degrees uh just smoked a big bowl uh, he, he's a he's a great bull. I'm super excited. I'm gonna I'm gonna basically I'm gonna hide this thing out so I can take it into you, get it uh, shoulder mounted. When I when I get that hide off, as we described before, the cape, and it's 79 degrees, um, and I find some shade to hang it first side down in. How long does it take to cool that? Or do you have an answer to that? Or is that dependent? Or whoops. yeah, it's real very it's it's real variable. It's going to be variable, but um, yeah, it's, how you know, soon give, from give it an hour? In, okay, give it yeah, an so hour. Yeah, like if you, yeah, so if you if you get that cape off and you either hang it on, you don't even have to hang it on something. Even if you lay it on the ground, you do the hair side down and let the skin side up, just kind of be open to the elements. You're fine. So before rolling um, it up, is it is a goal to kind of get it to the point where if it when you fill it with your the touch of your hand, it's cooled off, or yes. like you're not seeing steam. Yep. You know how you know how when you when you, any animal you get, even if it's hot out and you hang them up, even though it's 80 degrees out, you touch that meat and after it's cooled off, it almost feels colder than the ambient temperature. Yes. That's, that's what you're looking for in those hides. Okay. You're looking for that for adequately. And a good way of doing it is when you get an animal down, the first thing you're probably going to do is you're probably going to take the cape off, you know, first. Yeah. So yeah. take the cape off, lay that thing out. By the time you get that animal broken down, it doesn't matter if it's a deer or an elk because a deer doesn't need as much time as, a, as an elk does to cool off. By the time you get that animal broke down and ready to start packing out, that hide's going to be fine. 
Perfect. You're going to, it's going to be cool enough and it doesn't really matter as long as you keep it out of the sun and you know, you, you know, you just kind of let that, you put the skin, you put the skin side up to the elements where it can cool off adequately. Okay. Scenario number two, you ready? Mm -hmm. Yep. It's October 21st. I'm a rifle elk hunter. I just nailed a big bull. Really excited about it. Getting, uh, I caped it out and I got the hide back to camp, but I'm hunting with three other people that still have like, let's say five days of hunting left. Yeah. What do I do with that? Good scenario. In in that situation, you're camped in the high country. It's again, it's October. So it's not like we're talking, you know, 75, 85 degrees. We're talking more probably high of, of, of the high sixties kind of situation. What's your, what's your temperatures at night though? You're probably getting pretty darn close to freezing. Yeah. Well, it depends on where you're at. So in the high country where I hunt, you're getting down into the high thirties at night. So, yep. So bacteria, Bacteria starts to promote, they say 40, 40 Fahrenheit. I'm going to disagree with that. I'm going to go 37. I'll even go as far as saying like, you know, 36 degrees is where you start. You really want to keep it down below 36 degrees. It doesn't have to be frozen. Okay. 30, I, did an, I did an experiment years ago. I took a deer hide that I didn't care about and I put it in. It's, it's one of mine. Don't worry. No customers are like, oh, that's where my deer hide went. Um, <laughs> no, it's. It was, it was my own. It was a piece of deer hide that I put in a freezer or I put it in one of my coolers. It was at 36 degrees. I put it in a plastic bag. It was relatively free, free of all flesh and everything like that. And I rolled it up and I put it in there at 36 to 37 degrees. It kept in that bag with no degradation and no decomp for about two weeks. No problem. Gotcha. It actually, it actually got a little bit of a sour smell to it, but the hide, but the hair and everything was still completely intact. So my advice, there's a couple different things. We can even go far as your as your as your scenario of saying that it doesn't get below 50 at night. There's a couple of different options. One, if you have access to snow, you can pack that bugger in snow or put it in a black plastic. I always tell people take black plastic bags with you when you when you go hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know you never want to put a cape or anything in a black plastic bag when you're hiking out because it can start to heat up. However, once you get back to camp and that thing is fairly cooled off, put it in a black, one of those heavy-duty black contractor bags. Yeah. Folks, go to Home Depot, get a contractor bag. They're they're phenomenal. Yeah. I use them because even like when you're putting like a quarter in your your pack to just do a quick hike out, you know, a couple miles or whatever, man, you put them in there, that thing will slide into your pack so stinking easy, a quarter Mm -hmm. of an elk versus – anyway. So yeah, yeah. put put that thing in there, seal the top up. If you got access to a creek, put it in a creek. It okay. will cool that hide off so stinking quick. And as long as you don't have the water that's coming in contact with the hide, that's pretty much like sticking them just in a refrigerator. Okay. So that works out really good. Of course, if you have access to a cooler with ice, you never want to put hides directly onto ice. Put them in a bag, then put ice on. You can pack ice around them. You just don't want water coming in contact with it because when it does, it starts to actually soften the hide and then you can start the degradation process a little bit sooner so the one thing i i I would like to throw into that because i i I think that's that's fantastic uh advice joel um the one thing that happened to me and this was actually last year uh when i when i had late because i'll i'll tan my own deer hides periodically just as a you know Mm -hmm. sideshow hobby thing that i do to feel like i'm a mountain man you know um, <laughs> I hung it over this rock to, to kind of air out or whatever and came back the next morning and a coyote had ripped it apart. Uh, um, and so just, I, and I'm throwing out that warning. Like if somebody had a, a 300 plus inch bull down or something like that, some huge buck 
and they're they're looking forward to getting it mounted. Um, you do yeah. you, you do need to be a little bit cognizant of these uh, these damn coyotes. Um, yep. I, I I didn't realize that they would be interested in the hide as much as they were, but I mean they shredded it, dude. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and then you know, of course, guys, you know, we're we're dealing with the ever ever existing problem of grizzlies now, and so you know they'll mm-hmm. they'll come yep. to that just as quickly as they will you know meat. There's you know usually if it's in a creek and it's in a plastic bag, usually you're okay. Um, you know the other thing that I've done it sounds kind of weird. I actually learned it from an old mountain man guy. It actually has worked. Is you know. <laughs> Drink a bunch of water and pee around that thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then I've also, but then I've also been told by people that doesn't work either. So I, I don't know. I just, it, it depends. I here's okay. I'm somewhat of an expert on this. It depends on the damn coyote. Some sure. coyotes do not want anything to do with human piss. Others don't give a shit. So if it lives, if it lives in town, it's a little trash panda and it smells out all the exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Super, super dependent on the coyote and and where you're at. So. Right. Um, right. The other question would be, uh, Joel, like, okay, we're, we're going to switch from elk hunting. We're, we're uh, big-time whitetail mountain public land uh, whitetail hunters, right? And we get, a, we get yep. a deer down. It's November 15th, and we get this crazy cold front that comes in, and we're letting this cape kind of air out uh, and not, not realizing how cold it's going to get that night. And it gets down to, like, 10 or 15 degrees and freezes it. Does that ruin it, or is that okay? No. Nope. Because nope. you're going to thaw it out, right? Yeah, the freezing is actually better. I tell people, I'm like, man, if you've got one of those coolers, you know, that you have, you know, some of the big Yetis or stuff like that, and they, they have a cape with the head sitting in there, and they're like, you know, you know, do I peep ice on it all night? I'm like, well, what temperature does it get? Oh, it gets down to 20. I'm like, open that freaking cooler up. Let that thing freeze solid. Okay, I, and I then, think with my question on that, though, is we I, I know that freezing it is good, but I have heard, and I do, again, this is just... Sometimes sure. I say things, I, it reminds me of when I was in the military, and the military is just a big rumor. Everything's a rumor. Oh, I heard we're <laughs> going to do this. Oh, I heard we're going to do that. That's kind of what this is, right? Um, I, I heard that if you allow it to freeze, and it's November, it's cold, the thing is frozen solid, and then it, you have to like thaw it out to take it to the taxidermist kind of thing, and then he has to freeze it again. That could weaken the the fur in the hide. Is that is that an old wives' tale, or is there any merit yeah, to it? Yeah, that's no. I have quite a few guys that they'll actually it'll be frozen it'll be frozen prior to me getting it because they'll be in Montana and they have it sitting out and stuff like that, and then it defrosts by the time it gets here, and then mm-hmm. I refreeze again. No, the the one thing you do see with with hide with problems with the hide is where people drag them, um, where they will they will drag an animal, um, a deer primarily. I mean, my God, if you're dragging an elk, give me your phone number. I need to call you in September when I get them down. But, uh, Andre if, you know, the giant. If, right, right. So I've, I've got a buddy that can, I've seen him put half an elk on his, on his back. He's, he's a valuable asset come September, but, um, give him my number dragging. Yeah. Dragging his, uh, you know, you never want to drag any of your stuff because even though like, so let's say you shot a big mule deer, You've got, you know, a quarter mile to go to the truck. And you're in Montana. You're in sage country. You're like, oh, let's just drag this thing. Man, I'm telling you, you get back to the truck and you look at it like, oh, look, it didn't mess anything up. Oh, it did. It, and, it, and you won't see it until after we go through the tanning process. I had a guy that brought in a blacktail a couple of years ago, tremendous blacktail. He admitted, he's like, yeah, I drug it to the truck. I'm like, how far did you drag it? And he's just like, oh, you know, we drove it like 500 yards. Everything looked good. Whoa. It went through the tanning process. It came out of the tanning tank, and it was completely bald where he drug it. 
Yeah. So it, it messes that, that that's what we'll do. And I know it's kind of off subject from the freezing, but no, the, to answer your question more. No, that's good. I, I think a lot of people yeah, do that, that and would be surprised. They take it to the tax oh, service and when it gets tanned out that yep. it, it balds right there because I, I mean, I can't tell you how many deer I've drug out of the field. Uh, yep. and, and just it's, luckily they've, you know, I've never taken it to a taxidermist. So, right. It busts those, it busts those pedicles off down at the skin level and you mm-hmm. can't see it. And, and then it, through the tanning process, it comes out and then you're screwed. So, but yeah, freezing, refreezing, that's not a big deal. Um, where you have problems where freezing occurs is where people will store them in a freezer for too long or they don't store them correctly. So they don't get a bag. You see it a lot of times with bears or you see it a lot of times with deer that have been in a freezer for years and years and years. And the wife finally yells at the guy to get it out of there. And he decides to take it to a taxidermist. And what happens is, is the, the ears or the nose or the eyes, they get freezer burned enough that when we go through the process called turning, where we turn the lips, ears and eyes all inside out, it's kind of an intricate process. Uh, the freezer burn is so bad that the connective tissue between the skin and either the fat or the other side of the skin, like an ear, it just won't separate. And then you end up just, there's nothing you can do. You can't get it separated. Huh. And okay, that's, that, good to know. that's, but that's, but that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen on a hunt where it even freezes a couple different times during your hunt. I know, I know this um, dude that had a, <laughs> he had a mule deer with a cape in his, uh, freezer in the garage, you know, a, a chest freezer there, mm-hmm. um, for three and a half years. I don't know what he did with it, actually, because I moved away from that area. So um, I'd be curious to know if he ever if did you, it. It was a great buck. Yeah, if you package them, they're not too bad. I had a guy that brought in a bear last year that was in a gunny sack. It wasn't in a plastic bag. Mm-hmm. And he didn't he didn't roll the hide up. I always tell people on the bears, especially if the head is still in it, put the, put the head on the very inside of the roll so the ears and the eyes and everything are all protected. And oh, yeah. he, and it was, and it, but it wasn't rolled like that. The head was on the outside. He had a gunny, he had it in a gunny sack. So lots of air getting through there. Uh, he had it in a chest freezer. It had only been in the chest freezer for about a year. And the thing was so freezer burned, I could barely do it. On the flip side, I had a guy that brought in a bear that was in a freezer, correctly wrapped and packaged. It was in the freezer for eight years. And it was Whoa. like, it was killed. It was like, it was killed yesterday. I had no problems turning it whatsoever. <laughs> That's so, nuts. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Another scenario for you. One more. Yep. Um, I you know I don't care what month it's September October whatever deer or elk, uh, and they're they're hanging it uh, flesh side up, um, mm-hmm. maybe overnight. I don't know if that's yep. recommended or not, but yep. uh, maybe overnight, and freak thunderstorm comes through and soaks it. Um, issue or not? No, not really. Um, it's gonna get a little bit wet. If anything, it's gonna put on a crap load of weight if you're planning on packing out the next day mm-hmm. yeah, uh, for sure. you just as, as long as you leave it hung up and as long as it can drain that's not a big issue uh you just don't want it coming in contact with stuff like creek water or you know heaven forbid like a wallow or something like that but um you know because that that's going to have a tremendous amount of bacteria okay so and the, and the bacteria is a big thing that you're ultimately that you're fighting and that's why you know, like the animals, like some of the bears and wolves and stuff like that, they carry bacteria in them that is just absolutely insane. And so that's why bears, you know, we see a lot of times bears degrade twice as fast as an elk hide does just because they have so much bacteria within them. So That's super interesting. Huh. Yeah, yeah. and that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Well, Joel, yeah. uh, 
I could keep this going for a long time, man, but we're an hour and a half into this. We probably better yeah. wrap it up. Um, I yeah. love this conversation, dude. I, I knew it was going to be a good conversation. So um, I uh, want to talk about Black River Taxidermy. Uh, I don't know if you if you want to you know market your business here on the Western Huntsman much more to if if you're if you're super busy, but um, at least. Give everybody kind of uh, an idea as to, like, do you accept animals for for work from all over the place? Have them ship them to you, or are you more of a local, you know, accept them that way? Give us a, give us a gist on that. Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, I have stuff that's shipped to me from all over. I get a lot of clients that will send me stuff. I'll go on to Alaska, and they'll ship them to me. I always request that people, you know, give me a call before they do that, just so I kind of know when something's coming in you get some um, random giraffe shows up in the mail yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um so i always do that but a lot of stuff is local um you know i live in the pacific northwest which i'm telling you i have i deal with a lot of animal exchange and and some big some big big studios in the midwest and uh they're always calling me for you know that they always tell me they're like man you are lucky as hell and i'm like why and i'm like because you live in the pacific northwest you get to work with everything you have roosevelt you have rocky you have mule deer, you have whitetail, and you have kind of the coup de gras, the Columbia blacktail. Yep, so yep. I have people that, you know, they'll they'll call me looking for capes all the time. Uh, we deal with a lot of capes. You know, people come and do like a cape exchange in exchange for a European. Because um, you'll have these <laughs> you'll have these guys that will go down to <laughs> California and they'll shoot these. I'm sorry, California, they're not blacktails, but they shoot these quote blacktails and they're ugly as hell. And they wanna then they wanna buy a Columbia blacktail cape from the Pacific Northwest and put on them to put on with the deer and it's, it's like yeah that's, that's cheating that's what you get that's probably that's probably guy down there a western contours calling you up with that kind of, i'm telling you right now <laughs> so, but yeah so you you get stuff shipped or you know shipped on occasion i hope he knows uh, yeah, i'm kidding a lot of he, he gives me stuff. oh i'm sure, I'm sure he, he, he gives me a hard time on his show all the time so i'm giving him a hard time back he, he's yeah, in absolutely. california I'm waiting for your phone to hear, you yeah. know, the bing. Bing. So, he he yeah. drinks he drinks uh, the white claws. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That kind of so guy. You know, huh? That that kind of tell that <laughs> explains the whole thing, right? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, yeah, a lot of stuff is local. Yes, I do. I am taking clients this year. Um, bears have been absolutely tremendous in the state of Washington. The bear numbers are coming up, and I'm not even going to go into that subject because that's a whole other podcast. Um, but, uh, yeah, we take stuff in. Usually I always request either people call. I get a lot of, you know, with social media these days, I get a lot of inquiries on social media and also through email and stuff. And uh, some of them work really good. Some people, it's brand new hunters, and they're kind of sticker shock with prices and everything else. Or And I'm not, I'm not that. I'm probably middle of the road. Um, as far as like taxidermists around here and stuff like that. So you know, that, that's a good, that's a good point, man. Um, I think mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't understand the magnitude of the expense yeah. of a good taxidermist. So, uh, just as a general range, yep. like, let's say I get this monster whitetail and mm-hmm. I have $1,500 in my bank account for a taxidermist. Will that cover it for a white or I'm sorry, a mule deer? Uh, shoulder decent. mount yeah oh yeah you could probably do two of them and i mean okay again okay. i'm not i'm not i'm not going to speak for other taxes i, I so know you're not i, I know and i'm but, not holding you to any prices right but 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 so like right now so like if you were to call me and say i've got a nice meal there i want to do a shoulder mount it's, it's seven hundred dollars and a little bit of tax on top of that 
Um, so, you know, bears are probably bears are pretty expensive. Everybody kind of gets surprised with bears. They're probably one of the more expensive ones. There was an article that came out a couple years ago in a, in a magazine. And, and I'm not saying this to justify prices or anything like that. I mean, shoot, I remember when I was 16, I shot my first bear. I went in, I was going to have a rug made out of it. I didn't ultimately have a rug made out of it, which is one of my biggest regrets, but, and it was like, you could get a nice bear rug for five, 600 bucks. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. now they're, they're anywhere from 1200 to three grand, depending on how big the bear is and what and, you want to go for that's, the pose. That's perfect. That's what I was going to ask yeah. you. I shoot a nice yeah. bear. I've got $2,000 in my bank account. Is it reasonable yeah. to expect I can get a decent bear rug made out of it? Yeah. And it just kind of depends again on the pose and everything else. But, um, yeah, want, that, that kind I of bear. I mine but, posed as the karate kid with the one leg up, both hands raised, is is twenty five hundred dollars reasonable for that pose on a black bear? Not even close. Damn, damn, man, <laughs> you've crushed you're, you're my hopes and dreams. <laughs> well, you know what? Are, what are the three most honest things in the world? You know, <laughs> yoga pants, drunk people, and five year olds. So I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> I've never heard that. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna well, plagiarize that. Okay, yeah, go for it, man. That's, gotta, it's patented, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> I've got copyrighted. A, that's gonna. I've got yeah. a a really nice bull elk down, and I've got nineteen hundred dollars in my bank account. Is it is it reasonable to expect a good head mount out of that? Yeah, for me, absolutely. I'm okay. I'm about fifteen hundred for an elk shoulder mount. I know some guys that charge quite a bit more, um, and I know some guys that charge less. Again, you kind of have to go and look at people's work and see what you like. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. So tell, tell me that saying again. It's a yoga pants. And the, the three uh, most honest thing in the world is drunk people, five-year-olds, and yoga pants. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling my wife that. She'll like that. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, yeah, you'll never be able to come visit here. Like, hey, we're going to watch her stopping at Joel. She's like, wait a minute, it. that was the yoga pants comment, right? <laughs> she'll dig it. We make yeah. fun of some, uh, well, never mind. I won't go there. Um, <laughs> we're recording. Anyways. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Joel, I, I feel like that uh, the audience is going to get a lot out of this episode. Good. Um, I always want to say more than most other episodes, but I, I would say that on every, every episode because uh, I, I don't know. Not every guest we've had on the show has been absolutely impactful like that. But, you know, I got to say, I, I feel like I get... I just am lucky that way. I get some really good guests, man, and and they're yeah, just really do. informative, yeah. like you are. Uh, they're 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 folks that are just down to earth and want to talk about this stuff and are passionate about what they do. And I feel like well, that's I don't you. know. You, you you had Tony Winthrop on here. He's kind of a character. Well, I know, but but that's, shout, shout out to him if he's listening. I, I'm Love just you, saying he's he is not <laughs> a part of the group. I mean. You know, yeah. he, he wears a cowboy hat and yeah, but boy, you want to, you want to get a good Rosie. He's the guy to talk to. <laughs> Tony is one of the most salt of the earth dudes I've ever met in my life. Yeah, and he's... I'd love to get him back on. Actually, I need to get him back yeah. on the show. Me and him keep threatening yeah. about, we're going to exchange hunts. So oh, boy. Uh, we're yeah. we're going to, we're going to figure it out. I'd love to get him in, uh, around a campfire. So you know what we ought to do? With, with between you with and a, Tony and Joel Turner and uh, you know everybody oh over there, Mike Hers, the Pacific Northwest, Northwest yeah, Western. yeah, you gotta yeah, get yeah. <laughs> uh, all these guys that uh, just some good dudes over there, man. We ought to do like a Pacific Northwest hunt where we get this big well, camp together, you know. Well, you guys, you guys plan it. 
I'll I'll be there. So. All right, you got a deal. You got a deal, brother. We're gonna figure yeah. it out. So, Perfect. I I appreciate you coming on. What I'm gonna do, guys, in the show notes, I'm gonna put BlackRiverTaxidermy.com uh, in the show notes. I'm gonna put your Instagram and your Facebook in there. Is there anything else Perfect. you want me to put in there? No, not at all. Just uh, just let people know. You know, if you ever have, I, I'm not one of those. Even if you're not a client, man, if you ever have questions, I have a real. Uh, I mean, that's that's one reason why I wanted to come do this. Is I love helping bees people be successful even if it's on the the whole taxidermy side of thing there's a lot of there's a lot of disconnect of information from the hunter to the taxidermist and i think that's something that's really lacking in the industry you can get online and read 500 reviews on different knives but you can't find a review on the proper on a lot of times on proper caping methods and stuff like that and so you know anybody ever has any questions give me a call i love chatting with people and making connections and just yeah yeah for sure man for sure man we're gonna we're gonna keep in touch and we're gonna figure out how to get you over here to idaho to do like a caping seminar and um i'm serious about that stuff i'm I'm putting i've got some ideas together uh and and we're gonna make it happen so again i appreciate you coming on the show Uh, i'm I'm glad we connected uh this this was awesome yeah it's been great man well thank you so much and in the oh i already answered that so never mind you have a great night dude Yep, you too. We'll talk to you later. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.